this is going to be transferring tape number five for Saturday, April 20th, year 2013. Well, Multi Falcons is the most famous one I remembered, but. I wonder what they. When did Sidney yeah. Green Street pass away? 1954. Okay, pretty quick. Yeah. Pretty quick? Pretty well, quick in television well, history. He well, was. What I'm thinking is, you know, by the radio series, he, he was done, you know, like 51. Oh, he, oh, that's I what see. I'm saying. Yeah. I see. Okay. I don't know. Peter Lloyd? <coughs> I don't know. Television history, 54 would be yeah. real quick. I don't know, Peter Roy and Humphrey Bogart, that'd be interesting to look them up together. Well, let's see. Sydney Green Street, IMDB. I'll tell you what, we have covered more territory tonight, and we were serious, and I hope the educational system listens to us. Boy. All righty, let's see here. Hmm. You know what? His movie credits aren't all that big. When I say all that big, they're they're. About that is that I was listening to another show, mm-hmm. and they mentioned that his two hobbies were eating and drinking beer. Yeah. And I thought that's not true. No, it is not true. Because I thought his two hobbies were drinking beer and orchid. He. Well, yeah, he he was a connoisseur of beer, but of course he was a gourmand, so anything that he put in his mouth, he was a hobby. But orchids, yes, he grew orchids. Yeah, because when I um, heard that on the show I was listening to, they said eating and drinking beer. I said, no, that's wrong. I know That's what he loved. Yeah, you're right. That's what he loved to do, but that wasn't his hobby. Yeah. Which show? Eating was his occupation. Yeah, out. Drinking which beer. show yeah. were you listening to instead of Walden and Patricia in which they made that terrible boo-boo? I was listening to, um, I was listening to uh, Radio Spirit. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. I'm surprised. Course, and, of course, I was listening to them because you guys weren't on. Let me clarify. Oh, thank oh. you so much. We really needed to hear that. Thank you. That was good. That was an excellent answer. Okay, so now you answered Nero Wolf. I looked up Sydney Green Street, and now it's legal to ask you, what would you like? Um, I tell you what, I, do you have any, um, Hawk Larrabee. Yes. Hawk Larrabee. Okay. I am sure I do. I believe Ron in Hawaii sent some to me. Oh, good. I heard a couple of those uh, a couple weeks ago, and they they were funny. Yep. In fact, I know he sent me some. I don't think there are very many available. I don't think so. I don't think so, because I think that was pretty much the first... uh, Attempt. I, I think that was pretty much, from what I hear, the introduction to the gun smoke. That, that was probably the number one, or the first, not the number one, but the first attempt to do westerns for adults. Mm-hmm. Because I love westerns, but I'm not a fan of the Lone Ranger. No kidding. 
Yeah. Uh, what about gun smoke? Do you like gun smoke? I love gun smoke, yeah. I love West. Wow, and I love the Lone Ranger, and I'll leave gun smoke for you. Between the two of us, we got bases covered. No, nope, I, I, I just cannot. I, I, I can't get myself wrapped up in gun smoke. Now, the ones I listen to, and I do listen occasionally, are great. They are just great shows, but I don't choose them. I'll listen to them when I'm listening to Yesterday USA or uh, one will pop up when I'm making a CD for somebody and I'll listen to it. But I don't go over and say, oh, good, I think I'll listen to a gun smoke tonight. Yeah, I'm the opposite. I, I, I can't handle the Lone Ranger. You don't have to. I'll take care of that. Because yeah, the Lone Ranger is so predictable. I mean, the Lone Ranger is still alive. Of course. Yeah, so, like, you know he's going to get through everything. <laughs> and we and we know who that mask was. Listen, yeah. Matt Dillon is, is still alive, right? Would you put that off on the Lone Ranger? Matt Dillon never dies. True? Well, that's, that's an interesting yeah. point about people that don't die. What freaks me out is, uh, do you know who Danny Clover is? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Broadway is my beat, right. All these, yeah, all these detective stories, Sam Spade, Richard Diamond, these guys get beat up all the time. <laughs> I know, I know. We yeah, talk about how many tongues on the head these guys have. <laughs> it cracks me up. Yeah, I don't know. Does Danny Clover get beat up? Heck beaten yeah. up. Yeah. In, in yeah. Broadway is my beat? Yeah. Yes. I've listened to some of them. I, I thought he was kind of high class type thing, and he was the one who, you know, like like Terry Mason, he would tell people what to do, and nobody's going to get the better of him. I don't. I haven't listened to one in so long. Now I'll have to go listen to one. Oh yeah, it's amazing how how uh, they. Are and it's always uh, it's always head wounds. Yes, guns to the. <laughs> Yeah, no, don't worry about me. I just I just got knocked out for an hour or two. I'm fine. Exactly. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So, okay, Hawk Larrabee it is. I will make sure it gets into your envelope and makes good company with Luigi and all the other guys. Okay, let me get off this line. I don't want to hog up the time in case someone else is trying to come in. Well, you have yourself a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you next week. Great show again, and thank that gentleman for those uh, thought-provoking questions. Was his name Matthew? Matt. Matt, uh-huh. Uh -huh. Matt okay. from California. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, right. 714. Oh, you're there. Yeah, I was there before. I was just, I thought. I'd I not... knew you were. You were just giving me one of those. Well, oh, some, boy. Some, where did he go some, now? Yeah, well, something fell down. I was over there trying to pick it up, so. So my uh -huh. hands, my hands Is that like the dog ate my homework? No, it's just telling the truth. Seven one four. Yeah, I know. We have to five, do that next week. Five four five two zero oh, seven one. The dog ate your homework. Well, yeah. What we talked about that a little earlier. The kinds sure. of ex no, I, I won't say excuses because that sounds like you made things up, but it's really true. Mm -hmm. You know, please excuse me because. Yep, um, well, I knocked down my headset. I was trying to put those down, and then I was looking at the phone, just to make sure I didn't knock that over. So I'm busy. That's all. You're allowed to be. And that, that's why I have you.
to take care of everything else. Uh-huh. Well. <laughs> we, we have, a, oh gosh, what was it, Cool Cool Hand Luke? Yes. It was a movie, We Have a Failure to Communicate. We do. We we have no yeah. failure to communicate. Yeah, that was a line from Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, we have well. a failure to communicate. I never saw the line. I never saw the movie. So the, I never did either. So, I just saw the. I heard the line. Yeah, so the line doesn't apply to us. No, I don't even know what the movie was about. I, I think somebody was in prison. Was it? I think I think it was Paul Newman. I think was in the movie. I think. Yeah, he's the one who said we have a failure to communicate. Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that there. Okay, so I got all this great New Jersey stuff. So I'm supposed to hang on to that for next week, yeah? Oh, well, aren't we going to stay on for the next four or five more hours? I've got all this great New Jersey stuff. I'll hold it for next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Want to try again? That sounds like a one to me, Patricia. You, you want to try again? I think we can do that. All right, go ahead. Let's hold on to it for next week. Uh, Walton, that's a great idea. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have all of your questions? Yes, my dear. What would you like to do with them? You want to give me some or you want to hold them for next week? I would, I would be happy to give you some. Okay. See, I started to do that early, early. First thing. Yes. And we, we one more time, we didn't do it. Weren't able to do it. Okay, we well, got. At least we were. At least we were consistent. <laughs> we consistently miss. Well, we're consistently still on the first page, like we've been on the last several Saturdays. You got. I never got past the bottom of the page. What have we got here? I only got to the bottom of the page because I keep a list of callers, which took up a lot of lines. <laughs> yep. That's good. Kathy, that was that was the only thing on that page that we got done. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. So now I've got questions for you, mm -hmm. and I will let you choose. You have to choose. We've got baseball, presidential, your presidential quote, brain teaser, and your stump Walden question. Uh, let's go with the presidential quote. Presidential quote: Good ball players make good citizens. Richard Nixon. No, but he should have said that. Yeah, because he was a big baseball fan. Yeah, he was um, he was picked for he he was recruited for one of the teams. Oh. Uh, he was a baseball player, and he chose politics over baseball. I mean, was all right, it, you was it Joe Ford? No, it will be a surprise for you. Ronald Reagan. No, I will tell you as soon as I put Richard Nixon's name in here. Richard Nixon baseball. Let's see what comes up. It was drum roll. Chester A. Arthur. Ah, okay. Now I just never would have thought about Chet. No. Chester. No. Chester Arthur. I have to. I'm, I'm more respectful than that with our president. Yeah. President Arthur. Said that. Now, what years did he have in office? 1881 through about 1884. So baseball was very young. Very young. We're talking like 
1869. Right, right in there, the, the latter 1880s. That's right. So what made him decide? Hmm? Maybe he got a few votes from a few ballplayers. It could be. Could Maybe be. you got some baseballs as souvenirs. Yeah, could be. Yeah, I'm going to have to say, I'll save Richard Nixon for next week, okay. baseball players. Um, he was recruited for some sport, and I, I thought it was baseball. Mm. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Hmm, okay. Who's there? Hello there. Good morning. Dan. Uh, I recognize that voice. We are talking with Dan in Indiana. How are things in Indiana? Well, we're going to have a little frost on the pumpkin if we have any pumpkins out right now. So. No pumpkins. Are you there? Oh, there you are. Okay. <laughs> I thought we lost you. I am doing just great. I'll bet our weather is better than your weather. How's the weather in California? It's warm. warm. That's, that's it. Yeah, we get one uh, hot, dry, fire, woolly kind of weather. You know, standard conditions the last couple of days. So, but I do have a sweatshirt on. Yeah. No, wait. Do they put out forecast warnings about those uh, fires out there? Yeah. Yeah, when it when it gets really dry. And the wind kicks up, then we're almost we're, we're on. They put a, a red flag rep, uh, up, and so we we'll definitely uh, put on first day's alert to be careful. Yeah. We are fine. We've been talking about our educational system most tonight, so that's been the big hot topic. So, so we've been very, we've been contemplating the future, deciding <laughs> what America is going to be like over the next fifty years, and we've been debating: is it internal or environmental? We're debating. Wow. We have been de debating: is it written or verbal? It's been very intellectually stimulating. Yes, yeah. I hope to tell you, we were we were so far out of our ordinary littleness tonight. We were flying solo. We were fledglings. You were. You were. What would Osgood Conklin say about all this? I think he would say, Miss Brooks. <laughs> so what's been going on in your life this week? Oh, it's been pretty busy. Um, trying to get ready for finals, and we had the freshmen on campus um, on Saturday, and we had about 364 freshmen who came in. They've already enrolled for the fall, and I think we had about um, 900 people through the doors of the library today, so we were pretty busy. I sure sounds like it. Wow. Pretty much had a sandwich and like goes right on off. And then woke up about maybe an hour ago and kind of caught the tail end of um, the uh, Spanish uh, little uh, exercise. 
Indeed, I've woken, and not uh, I have awakened. I have woken, yeah, and not known what day it is. Oh boy! I mean, like, did I sleep through for twelve hours, or fifteen hours, or twenty hours, and just didn't know? I had to go to the computer. Or, or I I wake up sometime if from a a, a a quick start that somebody wake me. I might not get my total bearing. I might not know, know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Or somebody, uh, you know, call. I'm not totally, you know, functional to figure out what's going on. That's right. Yeah. That's right. yeah. But we had thunder over in Louisville uh, last night, which is our huge fireworks um, celebration. That's the opening ceremony of the Kentucky Derby. Ah. And two weeks from yesterday will be will be the, uh, the running of the Kentucky Derby. So it was pretty nice. Nice fireworks with the TV themed, um, you know, uh, montage going on during fireworks. That was pretty. So next year, what? It's going to be 150 years, right, for the Derby? The Derby. Uh, I think this year is 149, yeah. I think. 140. Next year will be 140. Okay, yeah. You're 139. Okay. The Darby. Is it the Derby or the Darby? Does anybody in Kentucky pronounce it Darby? Uh, you know, we actually have an announcer at the Kentucky Derby who, um, I believe he's English, and he does sometimes slip into... The British, I know, are Darby people, or frequently Darby people. Fibber McGee and Molly has a show with Mayor Latrivia, who pronounces it Darby. And he goes through one of his sputtering routines because Fibber and Molly, of course, get him all messed up. But he uses the word Darby, and I wondered if anybody Darbyed in Kentucky still. Of course we Darby. Of course you Darby. There, there's a slogan in Kentucky. There's T-shirts made up that says talk, talk Derby to me. That says talk Derby? Yep. Talk. <laughs> <laughs> what a great deal. What a great deal. Right in in the corner with Kmart. Have you picked up what Kmart's latest advertising campaign is? I, you know, I saw that on television, and then I heard about it on the radio. And uh, on the radio, they acted like um, that it had not started. But I know I had seen the, um, the uh, actual mm -hmm. on television, so... You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, go ahead. Low brow, you know, ha-ha, you know, sophomore humor, but, you know, it, it gets people, you know, to talking about the uh, company, so, hey, I guess it's a point. It's gotten, according to the information that came in this week in the advertising material that I get in email, um, it has garnered a lot of attention. Walden the ad cut line or the, the 
the ad line that they use is SHIP, S-H-I-P. They're pushing their internet delivery, internet shopping and delivery system because their stores are falling apart at the seams. And the line is SHIP, my, bless you, bless you, (laughs) SHIP, my pants. And you're supposed to say it really fast, but please don't say it out loud really fast if you wouldn't mind, okay? Ship my... Oh, okay. <laughs> well, now, I think it'd be better off saying, we'll mail you your blue-eye special. It might be a better... Well, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. However, that would not garner attention. And they launched this campaign so that focus... Of, Attention would be refocused on Kmart, which has just virtually evaporated in terms of the big box stores. Their equipment is icky. Their parking lots yeah. haven't been repaired. Their and, and stores you know, are in. And actually, you know who who owns them? Who owns or owned? Who owns them now? Now, who owns them now? If you tell me Warren Buffett, I'm going to write him a letter. <laughs> Sears. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, I think. Um, and after I, I saw it, I financial... think it might be the other way around. Does Kmart own Sears, or does Sears thought, own Kmart? I, and the last time I saw the financials, Kmart was doing better than Sears. Well, and Sears is really in trouble because yeah. Kmart is tanked. Wow. I went shopping to Sears. Yeah. Yeah, windbreaker, mm-hmm. huh? And at our local, now we're talking about a normal, you know, one of the larger players here, you know, in the area. They did not have any jackets, no coats. I guess they had gotten rid of all their winter coats and they had nothing new. Now I thought that's pretty bad if you can't, you know, have a jacket. I know, and seemed to me, Dan. They do, a lot of these things do it backwards because it's like, they're like a season ahead. So they probably already got their stuff out for the fall, practically. You know, it doesn't make sense to me yeah. how, how they merchandise that. My, my last shopping experience here was so bad, it's pretty much driven me the next time I want to purchase something in the store, do it online. And I thought I'd never say that. Mm-hmm. Wow. There was no one to help you in the store to check out. There was a wait. There was probably a wait of 20 minutes to check out. Wow. There was a line of people. I imagine there was probably six ahead of me. And, and these were buyers. Yeah. Huh? These weren't people who were shopping. These were buyers. Yeah. I'll tell you another scary thought. You know, I, my family grew up shopping at mid-price department stores. J.C. Penney's, you know, things that you get your clothes for. Yeah. Um, those are almost becoming like dinosaurs. You know, it's hardly we can find, we have to go a long way to go to a J.C. Penney's and everything is getting to be high-end. 
department stores. And I don't know how the middle class family, you know, take their kids to, or, or adults, you know, to buy shirts and things at traditional department stores anymore. I, it just... I bought three shirts, I bought three, you know, Oxford shirts. Yeah. And they were $15 Yeah. I picked up one pair of slacks, and it did not have a price on slacks where I could tell what it was. But the slacks up there, I said, how much are these slacks? He said, $70. That's the same slacks that I've bought in the past for 25 Woo! And I said, you can just keep them. Thank you very much. You know, I'll pass them the pants. Yeah. So. But, uh, and, then, and then I asked about, where are your jackets, you know? What, I've got a leather jacket I've had since, like, mid-80s, and um, the lining is coming out, and I think I'm just going to have that jacket relined. Yeah. Just go, go to your local tailor, if you even have one, and have it done. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, you know, well, you know, I've had the jacket since 1985, and it looks nice still. It's just the interior lining is coming out, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to probably have that done. But that's pretty bad, you know. Yeah. Plus, the shirts I, I look at brand, I, I look at brands and they're like, uh, I think they're Oxford brands, and uh, I look to see where they're made, made in Vietnam. It's like, you know, I'm thinking, yeah. you know, I don't even want to really buy them. It's not putting money back in our economy. You don't see the U.S. label anymore, do you? You, it's very hard to find anything made in the United States. Yeah. And every time, and, you know. I'm old-fashioned. I look at cars going down the road, and I see Kia's. I see, you know, different cars. And I'm thinking, you know, every time you've bought a foreign-made car, you've taken money out of this. You know, unless you're buying, like, a Toyota or a Honda, you know, some company that has plants here in the United States. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I guess people just... Well, you know, I can see where, you know, people probably can't afford, you know, maybe... Well, I don't know. I guess you see my point of view. You're taking money out of this company when you're buying Kia's and, you know, other foreign-made products. And, you know, it's just bad. I've got some Kmart information. Okay. Oh, boy. Yeah. This is from Time, Business, and Money section. There are yeah. But yeah. mm -hmm. well, actually, I guess Sears is the holding company. They're, okay. the, Sears owns the imprint, the, the Kmart mess. And the title of the article is, Does Kmart's Hilarious New Ad Acknowledge That Kmart Stores Are Hopeless? How's that for a headline? <laughs> well, up here, some of the Kmarts became what was known as Sears Essential Stores. Whatever that might be. It's me. I guess you get your milk in there. All right. It says, in, in just over a week, Kmart's 32nd ship my pants spot. And it, in parentheses it says, go ahead, say it quickly. <laughs> Has received close to 13 million views online. The viral hit should give the struggling retailer some much-needed buzz. It might also call attention to why some shoppers have stopped going to Kmart. Next paragraph, let's be honest, Kmart isn't cool. 
in the pantheon of big box general merchandise retailers, Walmart is the 600-pound gorilla, inexorable in its pursuit of efficiency and cheap prices. Target is sort of the hip one, and Kmart is, well, just kind of there. If you associate the Kmart brand with anything these days, it's, kind of, it's a kind of Martha Stewart-flavored aspirational respectability, or perhaps layaway, or bankruptcy court. This is not good. This is not good. So then we get down to the to the ad that sort of gives you a picture of what the store is all about. It says, that's why the retailer's irreverent ad released last week is so surprising, not only because of the faux-scatological content per se. Oh, this is good. <laughs> um, so they did raise a few eyebrows, but because this somewhat, <clears throat> excuse me, somewhat edgy and definitely funny ad came from a tired snooze of a retail brand. This is not what I would want to see in writing. No. If it were my company. All right, so the commercial, da-da-da, compelling, da-da-da. Quote, the outpouring of affection, the goodwill, and the laughter we got internally told us we really had something here. This is the guy who uh, runs the joint. Uh, just coming to da, 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 13 million. But while the ad brings Kmart a bit of much needed attention, it also seems to point to why shoppers have been frustrated. The stores look awful. Both Target and Walmart remodeled their brick and mortar locations to become a one-stop shop for customers, largely by adding expansive grocery store departments. Right. Many Kmart Kmart stores languish, clearly in need of renovation. They're unlikely to get it from CEO and billionaire investor Eddie Lampert, however. Former executives quoted in a recent Yahoo Finance story described Lampert as someone who hates to spend money even to clean up dirty stores and repair potholes in parking lots. This is not good. All right, their focus is not on modernizing the stores. The new CEO views them as almost a lost cause. They have underinvested in their stores. Oh, gosh, this is awful. And it goes on and on and on. When did Kmart start? I mean, that's been a brand I know we all grew up with, it, but it must have been around for 100 years. I mean, it sounds like. This article saying they're about ready to go on. They're, they're about ready to kick the bucket. They are. Well, they've already been in Chapter 11, and that's when Sears picked them up. They've gone. Walmart. They've gone through about four or five years ago. Does that sound about yeah, right? About right. Let's see. Kmart history. A retailing legend is born. This ought to be good, huh? All right. Wikipedia. Well, let's see. Early history. I ran into Walmart. I woke up and I ran down. I got a little bite to eat at McDonald's. I ran to Walmart. It's my first Walmart trip in several days or weeks or months. And um, I overheard one of the employees of Walmart saying that they were taking out 17 checkout lines, but then 50 self checkout lines. <laughs> Wow. 
Now, I used the self-checkout line a couple of times in Sam's Club, and once I got the hang of it, it was pretty cool. You can't get out the door without showing somebody your receipt. So it's not like you can put goodies in your basket and just walk out the store with them. I don't know how they work it in other places, though. When you self-check. I used to self-check out at Kroger, and it's pretty quick. Uh, you know, if, if there's no one using the self-checkout, you know, you can go up there and scan your items and pay right. and get out pretty quick, you know, especially if you only have two or three items. So the, the, the question is, how do they know you haven't sneaked some stuff into your cart without having gone through the scanner? There are usually employees up there watching. Hmm. I wonder if they have the did, – did you ever hear a buzzer go off at the door like I get at Walgreens? They have to run the product over a little demagnetization on the expensive products. And if that doesn't happen, the bell rings on the way out as if I've got something in the bag that I haven't paid for. That happens at the library, too, when people, I mean, we have our, you know, security system. We have uh -huh. little strips, you know, in our books. Yeah. They have to be demagnetized. And, um, but that also happens when people walk through sometimes with cell phones or, um, have you uh, seen any of these RFID tags in, like, clothing? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, well, that will also set off the uh, mm -hmm. security. Which is why they're there, yeah. yeah. They almost, I guess it's a, a key-type system that they use to unclip them. If you yeah. manage to get out the door and home with one of these things, you'd need to hire a locksmith to get the darn thing out of the clothes. That's true. No, now, I'm talking about something different. These are actual tags that are RFID tags that are yeah. sewn into clothing, and you have to, like, demagnetize those. Oh, ooh. Oh, isn't that good? They're about a two-inch by two-inch square tag mm -hmm. that will be sewn right in your clothes. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had a magnet, would would a would a simple magnet demagnetize? Would it intrude on the coating? I don't know. I mean, I had to cut you know these tags out of. Uh, they're usually you know underneath the arm of mm -hmm. a sweater. I, I bought some sweaters at Old Navy, and that's where I've had these problems. You know. With, yeah. Uh, Tags going off. I walked in mm -hmm. one day and the tags, the, 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 fire, the uh, security gate went off, you know, making rounds. And, and uh, someone there in Walgreens, you know, saw me wearing the sweater and said, you know, did that come from Old Navy? He said, yes, it did. He said, well, it's your tag. You need to cut that tag off. <laughs> <laughs> you need help from the, from the drugstore to get dressed. Isn't that awful? Oh, gosh, that's funny. I was going to ask you, oh, your credit card. If your credit card accidentally gets swiped over the demagnetization dealy that they do, yeah. or if it goes over the scanner in the supermarket, it will demagnetize and your card will not work. You have to get a new card. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know it either, but I... Yeah, actually, there's a problem with some of the brand-new cards. Especially if you're traveling, that 
uh, people, if they walk by with a scanner, can pick up all the information off your card. With those little chips in them, yeah. Yeah, so now they're, now they're recommending... Um, Aluminum per, cases? Yes. Yeah. 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 I will not use a card with one of the little chippies in it. Chase tries to convince its customers how convenient it is. You just walk by a scanner. Well, there's no way that they know I'm me. So, Walden, if you pick my pocket and walk out with my credit card that has the little scanner chip in it, uh-huh. you can use it. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of dumb. That's why I think, So, you know, I just cut up the cards and say, yeah. sorry, guys, I'm not going to use them. Well, that's why we're just going with our cell phones. You know, our cell phone's going to be doing our cash and carry business here pretty soon. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, you, know, you just wave your phone, and there you go. I Nope. Anything that can wave in front of a scanner and get me out of the store is just off my screen. Because yeah. there's, no, there's no reason that I couldn't do it. How many people lose their cell phones every year? A lot. It, it's unimaginable. A lot. And if it's turned on, you've already gotten through the security code. Mm-hmm. People tend not to turn their cell phones off if they have to enter a password in order to get it back on. I mean, it just, somebody's got to really beef up the security on these things before I'm going to feel comfortable doing it. Well, we already have viruses that are being downloaded and released onto these smartphones. There we go. Oh, well. So, what I've I've got here is that the S.S. Kresge Corporation, K-R-E-S-G-E, in Detroit, Michigan, was renamed Kmart Corporation in 1997. The Kmart chains were in 1962. So the Kmart name that we see on top of stores started popping up in 1962. I, I would have been surprised if it were any earlier than that. Um, am I remembering right, guys? Was it was it was it the the logo? Was it a blue or a green in the, in the background? Uh, it's an orange K in on a white background. Was it white? Okay, I thought there was a blue or green somewhere in that billboard sign. I just trying to remember it. And I'm struggling to remember something that might have been that. Yeah. I don't remember it ever being anything other than orange, which doesn't mean, oh, good grief. Do you know how they, they have a mascot? All right, let's see. No, oh, a mascot? Logo. Logo. Let yeah. me see. Well, look, would you look at this. Okay. Yeah. So we've got orange with uh, until 1990 by Kmart Australia. Um, many older locations. Uh, 1990s, Supercenter, we're not talking Supercenter, Big Kmart, Super Kmart. All right, back in Kmart's original logo, used until 1990, has a big orange K with the little letters M-A-R-T in green on a white background. Oh, I was right. I seem to remember green at the kid somewhere. Okay, and then we move yeah. over. Oh, it was only used as a prototype. So that's probably the one that you remember. I remember in the 70s as a kid when I walked, come to the store and look up, look at the sign. 
Yeah. And that would be it. So it was a big orange K, and then the little letters were in dark green. Mm. Do you remember Bob Hope advertising Kmart? No. Mm-hmm. Right before he died, he uh, and he was pretty. You know, I mean, basically he was setting down, and he just said, you know, well, go to your. I think it was a Super Kmart he was advertising. Oh. But uh, I guess they thought that you know he might bring in people. But I bet he was doing that just within the last year or two of his life. Mm. Hmm. Like like Bob Hope really advertised or shopped at Kmart. Yeah, I know. I know. I read a very disappointing article not very long ago about, and I think it was written by an FBI guy. <clears throat> excuse me, retired, and it was particularly directed at older buyers who are frequently influenced by the personalities who do the advertising. And he wrote that the majority of the people who do the advertising copy, like Henry Winkler is talking about, oh, I guess insurance or a reverse mortgage, I guess. And Joe Namath is talking about buying in a residential community in Tennessee. Um, Fred Thompson does reverse mortgage. I mean, you know, people whose names you look at and you think, oh, you know, these guys are really cool. They wouldn't advertise or be part of anything that was crooked or not as honest or doesn't warranty that type of stuff. And this guy said it is astounding how many of these people don't even really know what they're advertising they just are hand. They're told where to show up. Here's the job. They're handed scripts. They read the scripts. They collect their money and they go home. So it's not like, you know, people we would trust have researched a company and decided yes, this is really good and I don't mind having my name on it. And certainly a lot of them do. But he said you'd be terribly disappointed to know how many don't. So don't use that as even one of your criterion or one of your criteria. Isn't that dis- I know, isn't that disappointing? That's sad. That's sad. I mean, Henry Winkler probably, I mean, I have faith in Henry Winkler, he surely investigated, you know, but he said you'd be astounded at how many don't do that. There's, it, it is a paid job for them. It has nothing to do with product at all. You know, Dan Freeberg, Basically, when he took over for uh, Jack Benny, he said that he would not uh, sell for a cigarette company. And you remember Jimmy Stewart was the same way. Right. Uh-huh. You know, and I think there were a few others that, you know, basically lost a career because they wouldn't give in to cigarette advertising and, you know, other, other few liquor mm-hmm. advertising companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a complete job, you know. They're looking at it as a job, and they get up there, say a few lines, they get paid, and they go home. Mm-hmm. Now we stand behind your product. Now, hold on, we don't have your product, do we? Easy to stand behind something that's not there. <laughs> Easy to do it. Walden made me do. Walden, you need to you need to get some sponsors on the show. Oh well. Do you have any that you can nominate that would be good for us? 
got eight big hours of, uh, of complete and utter uh, education. Okay, yeah. Intrigue. Yeah. Um, gosh, what do we... Uh, what do we think uh, advertising? Kmart? From? You know, we can go, we can send school, get back to school. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> we could do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll need, we'll need to work on some advertising. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be good. That would be good. Oh, did you have a, a homework assignment this week? I, uh -oh. I did some research and I didn't really find too much. What were you looking for? I thought you might find interesting, but I want to keep looking. I haven't found anything that really um, answers that question. Did you have any luck? This is this is like the dog ate my homework. What was the question? Well, the question was, why were there some limitations on where soldiers were spent during the early days of World War II? Right. That's, yeah. That's yeah. No, I didn't look. I, I have to write that down. And I could not find anything. Okay, question. See, yeah. I need to write this stuff down. Yeah, you know, we just we need to look for a more representative source, you know, something that has more, you know, uh, uh, name recognition besides the New York Times. Not not quite up there yet. They're really good with their historic articles, though. And see, I was looking in the New York Times Historic Database, and I looked yeah. like, I sent you an ad, or I sent you a story on, you know, where they were talking about, you know, the draft. Yeah. And I get I pulled away, yeah. For uh, draft and travel limitations. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find anything. Mm. And yeah. I pretty much searched during the 1939s or about 1945, you know, century. Wow. But I could not find anything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wind up at the New York Times fairly frequently because I'll put in a Google search looking for a piece of history like with a particular actor or actress and they will toss up an obituary that was written in 1942. You know, that kind of historical data is what comes up with the New York Times, and I just love it that they give us access to that kind of stuff from their archival inventory. But I've never, I've never searched their, um, their database. I've, I've never, you know, asked for a return on the database. Do you have this article? Do you have information? So I say never. I don't do it very often. I usually depend on Google to toss up stuff. And they come up fairly frequently with the historical information. So, okay, I wrote down the question. So I have to do my homework. I didn't do my homework this week. I am very sorry. I am very sorry. Well, I looked and I didn't find it. Did you get my email about the draft? No. You did not get my email. Okay. Well, if I did, I, it went right, right past me. Hold on. Now, this would have been from the New York Times database. This was or was it, not? It would not have, it probably it was. did not come from my email address. It probably came from whatever the New York Times database. Oh, my goodness. It may be in your spam. It might be in my delete. It and it looks like they came cruising through and already cleaned out my delete. Oh, gosh. 
I tell you what I did this would it have come from New York Times and uh, something like Dan Bays has sent this to me or what? probably probably I'm sorry I didn't mean to use your last name I think I, think I did that on Tuesday 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 um, I sent you a story, and it said the first number drawn in the First World War was 258. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I thought, how did that happen? <laughs> that really is a peculiarity, isn't it? Yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. So, but, uh, the six was I got, in. I got busy toward the end of the week with... A lot of other questions from students, and I taught two classes this week, library science skills, and it was just a busy, busy week. I think it, well, let me check junk. I may have cleaned it out. I went through my New York Times, oh, that's the news press. Um, New York Times, don't miss out. No, no, I think I I will be the guilty one because I I've started a, going I through have, emails. I sent a copy to myself so I can now send you my copy. Oh, that would be great. Thank you. I'm, I went through and started cleaning out emails, and when my New York Times emails get kind of behind, I'll say, okay, I'll click that, and, you know, there are just so many articles you can read, and that's probably what I did. I got over-aggressive. The 16th, I wouldn't miss the 16th. <laughs> Dan, go ahead. Yeah, well, my teacher threw out my homework. Uh, that's okay. You know, that's okay. that'll work. You We're know. going to ask next week the most creative reasons, I'll, I'll, I'll say reasons, yeah. excuses, excuses yeah. for not having done something or the ones that told, the tr especially the ones when you told the truth and people didn't believe you. Right. So the teacher threw out my homework is the truth, yeah. but how many people would believe you? That's true. I don't know. That's true. I don't think very many. I wouldn't believe you, and I did it. I know, I know. She, she, she of little faith. I know. What's I know. wrong with you, Patricia? You have lots of faith in us. No more. I have lots of faith. Yeah. But not in the homework department. <laughs> well, that's not really true. That's not really true. And I did. I threw it out. So if you could do a repeat and forward that your copy to me, that would be super. All right, we will do that. All right. That's only six in the morning for Patricia. That's all. Six oh nine, please. I want credit for everything. I want credit for everything. Six oh nine. Yeah, it is nap. early. This, it, it's starting to get light out. Yeah, so. I think I took a nap this afternoon. I knew it was going to happen. <gasps> you rascal! You did do that? Yep. 
I have to bring a pizza to my brother today. Oh. I promised him. Are you going to order it or make it from home? Walden, this is me you're talking <laughs> to. You know my oven is my my guarantee and warranty storage yeah, place. Yeah, I know. I know. It's where I keep all of my warranties. Well, does, he, does he expect it to be warm? Does he expect the pizza to be warm? Uh-huh. Yeah, he's pretty fussy okay. with stuff like that. <laughs> <clears throat> Dear me. Okay, well, Dan, if you could do that, that would be really nice, and then I could redeem myself. How about that? Yeah. Do you think maybe it didn't get here? What now? Do you think maybe it didn't get here? I am. It came to me, and I just, you know, did a copy of, uh, I put your address, some uh, Poland, and put my address, and hmm. it came to me. How about that? Oh, well. If you could forward yours, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, okay. Sounds great. She'll give you full Excuse credit. Me. She'll give are you full going, credit for it. Are we going to have any special interviews coming up? We're working on a few. I am... Um, I'm, I'm swapping phone calls with Jimmy Rogers. I'm, uh, we got Lorna Ruff, Judy Garland's daughter, in the month of July. So, I'm working on stuff. I've been trying to crank up the uh, phone lines. And Patricia is working on Cora Cor Shulk. She's reading the book of the Great Girls for you. So, oh, you yeah, so we got stuff in works. It's just, you know, stuff like that there. That's right. Yeah. There you go. We'll get it done. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go for now. You all have a good week. You too, Thank Dan. you. You too, Dan. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. So we okay. Well, I found stuff. Yes. Hold on. I found stuff about Richard Nixon. Yes. And I think it was commissioner of baseball. That's Hold right. On. I remember. It was commissioner? Yep. I remember that. Uh-huh. Because they, they split the information with a whole bunch of pictures. I'm looking at Google Books. Right. Uh, let's see. Decided they needed a full-time director. Who, who, who? Ah, okay. All right. Bob Feller, the fireballing pitcher star of the Cleveland Indians, led the Players Association when it was formed in 1953. Mm -hmm. He and his colleagues worked hard to improve pension and benefits. They made little progress. They made a little progress, but not much. By 1965, the Players Association was down to $5,400 in its treasury. It had one file cabinet, no office, and no employees. Wow. Excuse me. The players decided they needed a full-time director with skill and prestige. Feller was retired, and the leadership of the Players Association passed on to Harvey Kuhn, who was then nearing the end of his playing career, and three outstanding pitchers, Bob Friend and future Hall of Famers Jim Bunning and Robin Roberts. Mm. So now I have to get past the pictures and get to the next copy. They decided to recruit Richard Nixon, whose affinity with baseball was known. Feller knew, Rich, knew Nixon from World War II and both served in the South Pacific. Feller was a gunnery leader aboard the battleship USS Alabama, and Nixon was an officer on a communication ship. 
Um, so Feller called and arranged to recall the situation in an interview in 1952. This is Bob Feller talking. I'm retired, so I got a call one day from Robin Roberts. He wanted to wanted me to introduce him and Bob Friend and others to Richard Nixon, who was a lawyer in New York. When I consented to do so, I called Nixon, um, who I knew from the Navy days in the Marianas. I had kept contact with him, and we were very friendly. They wanted him to take the job as their player's representative to run the Major League Baseball Players Association. He told them he would be glad to take the job, but he had political obligations, so he was not in a position to do it. He offered to do the law work for them for a very reasonable amount of money. The approach to Nixon was made by Bunning, who understood politics as well as Nixon understood baseball. After his playing career, Bunning ran for Congress and was elected from his Kentucky district. So he was offered, Nixon was offered the Players Association lead position, and he turned it down. Wow. Chose politics over baseball. Apparently he was really a hot, into baseball person. So he, he had as much experience in baseball, I guess, as he had as a lawyer. Wow. So he turned it down. I misunderstood. I remembered baseball, but I didn't remember the position correctly. And it was the Players Association they tried to recruit him for. How Very about that? Good. Very good. And we wound up with him as president instead. I know. Hmm. hmm. I wonder who won. He'd probably been happier in baseball. I think he would have been happier in baseball. Yeah. Um, it just didn't match up with his aspirations, but you're right. I think he wanted to be he, he wanted to be a, uh, the, the most visible person in politics mm-hmm. and would have been so much happier if he had gone with baseball. No, no. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Been enjoying listening to you guys here. Well, well thank you, Paul. Yeah, I'm just testing to see who is going to be able to recognize you. <laughs> well, yeah, the way, way you speak two words, then we can figure it all out. Nope, you can figure it all out. I, I need help, I always. The, I got the headsets, so I help. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah, I help. I yes. thank you for donating so much time early in the morning for you. Well, you're very welcome. It's my time, so I I can do it. It's it's a lot easier for me to do it on this end of the morning than have to get up at this hour. I'm not a daytime person. I'm not a morning person, so I am cool with this, but fun time. Fun time for me, too. Four hours of sleep on I'm, Sunday mornings. I, I get six. Run off. Yeah, six? I get normally about six. Sometimes I'll take a Sunday afternoon nap. But no, I'm up by nine. And uh, so maybe I'll get five. And then I, if I need it, I don't. I have no problem taking a afternoon nap if I, if I need it. And the way I go. 
you guys referred to uh, Cool Hand Luke. Yes. I saw it in my freshman year of high school. They showed it. I was surprised and wondered where they showed it. <laughs> it was Paul Newman. Right. I guess yeah, Walden remembered. Yeah. yeah. I just we I, I Patricia and I have never seen it, so we don't remember the background behind it. Well, um, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Well, um, Newman didn't say it. Is the head Casper uh, guy of his? Oh family. yeah, the guy, the prison person. Yeah, the head of the chain gang or something. Pardon? The the one were they on a chain gang? Were they going to be on yes. a chain gang? Yes, he was in a chain gang. Yeah, and the mean, miserable guy who oversaw the chain gang. Yeah. yeah you're right. Um, Robert um, Paul Newman was balking at having to get chained up and do road work and stuff like that there. Yeah, he escaped at least twice, maybe more. And then the prison guard said, "We what we have here is a failure to communicate." Yeah, they eventually ended up killing him. Oh, killing who? Uh, Paul Newman. Really? Oh gosh, I'm glad I didn't see the movie. Oh. Beat him to death. I'm pretty sure. Either that, or they shot him. I guess there was a failure to communicate. So. Uh, see why I'm not a movie watcher? Yeah. Well, uh, the only funny part I could remember, this was a lot of years ago, was um, he had a hard-boiled egg eating uh, competition, I think, with another guy. Or, or just trying to break a record, but I mean, he ate just a tremendous number of hard-boiled eggs. I think the only way, I've never been in a food-eating contest, and they kind of disturb me a little bit, but I think, and you have to help me with this, the only way you could get that many hard-boiled eggs down, because the inside is so dry, is by swallowing them whole. Is that the way they do it? Yeah, I think that's what you did. Ew. You mean you don't you don't think you can eat was it sixty nine hot dogs in seven minutes? What they're doing on the Nathan hot dog? In seven hot? minutes, I could probably do. If I had to, I could do three. Is that without the bun? No, no with the buns. With the bun. What they're doing? As long as, as, long as it was slopped up yeah. with something yeah. like sauerkraut, so that the bun wasn't dry. Well, I guess what. The, I guess what they do. Well, I guess what they do is they dip it in water, and it goes down faster. That'll that'll be. But they, but they swallow these things whole. Right. Oh, what happens to their tummy? Are you saying that people who ate the uh, hot dog and bun swallowed that whole? Yeah. No, well, I don't think they have them on buns. Well, they, they must have them just nude. No, it's in buns. It's Let me in buns. See. Part of, I think they might, maybe they buy them in one piece and they go. But yeah, it's, uh, uh, but that, it definitely comes, the Nathan eating contest on July 4th. And I think part of it is you have to eat them with the buns. And which place is this? 
Nathan in the, in Coney Island. Yeah, oh, on, on July oh, that's 4th. a hot place, yeah. It, it's the July 4th eating contest. Still going on to this day. Yeah, and I think I think the record is like 69 hot dogs and I think 7 minutes or 13 minutes, something like that. Holy mackerel. I wonder if they didn't eat for uh, a couple of days <laughs> before. Joey, Joey Chestnut at the uh, reigning champ and he goes to get him. Kobayashi from Japan. Those two always seem to be head to head. And Kobayashi is just a skinny old guy. So this is Nathan's we're talking about? Nathan at Coney Island. Nathan. Okay. I typed in Mason and one came up too. All right. Hot dog eating contest. Right. July 4th. Uh, Televised on ESPN every, every year. Okay, Joey Chestnut. This is from 2011. They don't have the results from 2012 at Wiki. But Joey Chestnut ate 62 hot dogs and buns in. Well, then, are you talking um, completely soaked up in water? Yeah, that's how they can get it down quick. Yeah, go. History, tradition. They dip it in and go. Results, tactics, and training. There you go. Do we need tactics and training? My <laughs> All right, let's see. Joey Chestnut. Top three finishers, 10 minutes. Okay, they get 10 minutes to slug this stuff down. <laughs> Boy, this Joey Chestnut is, a, they call him Jaws. I wonder why. Um, Joey has been a hot contender. Let me see how, how far back he goes. Joey Jaws. Joey Jaws. Um, oh, gosh. He was only in second place in 2006. Yeah, Toby Oxy, a guy from Japan. He, he, the, uh, he's the eating marvel. He flies over here for this? Yes. Well, it looks like Joey has him. All right. To Kobayashi. Right. All right. You really keep track of this, don't we? <laughs> He can't help it because I tell him every year. Okay, we're. ESPN. Okay, I don't get that. Yeah. All right. So in year 2000, first place was Kazuya, yeah, the guy. Yeah. Um, and I don't see. I I don't see Joey anywhere here. No. Okay, so then in 2001, Kobay. Kobayashi. Oh, there was a different one. It it's it it was Kazutoyo. Oh. Kazutoyo in 2000, and then in 2001, Kobayashi came on on board, and he was the winner. 2003, he was the winner. 2004, he was the winner. Um, and 2005, he was the winner, but Joey Chestnut was number three mm-hmm. with only 32 hot dogs. All right, so now we're up to, this is incredible, 2006, 2005. Okay, 2006, Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut was in second place. Kobayashi ate 54 Joey ate 52. So we got the competition heating up here. Mm-hmm. Now we've got 2007. 
Joey Chestnut won with 66, and Kobayashi slipped into second with 63. 63. Okay, that was 12 minutes, though. They mm. gave him 12 minutes to do that. And this is disgusting. <laughs> so if they showed a stack of those there, of 63 of them, mm -hmm. that would be very telling. That would... Oh, All were not finished. <clears throat> it's getting worse. Um, in 2008, we had a 10-minute contest. Now, this one's got an asterisk. There was a... Uh, a what? All right. Uh, this, this one's got an asterisk, so there's additional information. Okay, 2008, Joey Jaws, 59, tied with Kobayashi with 59. And this was 10 minutes. And then down at the bottom, there's an extra note. Chestnut, Joey Chestnut won a five-dog eat-off in 50 <laughs> seconds. This is disgusting. Seven seconds ahead of Kobayashi, so he was solidly in first place. Oh. Then in 2009, oh, this is really cool. In 2009, Joey Jaws Chestnut, 68. This is a 10-minute finish. And we had Kobayashi with 64 and a half. <laughs> This is getting worse. Yeah, break him in half and swallow him, I think, if I remember. The, yeah. The... Well, we had a little bit of a slip in the competition in 2010 because Joey only ate 54, and Tim Eater X Janice ate 45. We now have Patrick... a, fe a female in the wedding now. All right, now we've got... Is she huge? All she needs is a fat is, is a high-capacity tummy. Um... The, so these guys all have have um, nicknames now. Joey Jaws, 54. This is 2010. Mm -hmm. Tim, the Eater X, 45. And Patrick, Deep Dish, Bertoletti came in with 37. Isn't this awful third place? And you can chuck a luck. 37. Okay, now we're up to 2011. Was Joey Jaws, Patrick Deep Dish, and Tim Eater Janice in first, second, and third place? Joey. The Japanese guy left off, huh? I guess so. Yeah, he's gone. I don't see him anywhere on the list. He probably got a tummy ache. Yeah. And then in 2012, we are still with Joey Jaws, Chestnut, Tim the Eater X Janice, and Patrick Deep Dish Bertoletti. Joey chopped 68 hot dogs in 10 minutes. I guess we could find it on YouTube, huh? Oh, yeah. All right, Duncan, let's see. Training and tactics. Each contestant has his or her. I did, by the way, Walden, they only listed for 2012, they only listed the top three. So I don't see the woman the woman in there. Let me okay. see. She might. It's Matt, Sean, Eric, Adrian Morgan. That could be man or woman. I think Adrian with just I A N is male. Uh -huh. Aaron Pete. Pat from Munachi Philbin. Big Brian Subic. Damon 
and then three from Japan, and Tim Gravy Brown. For these guys all, oh, man, A-Train, Aaron A-Train, Eric the Red, Sean Flash Gordon, Megatoad. How would you like a name, Megatoad? I don't, I don't know. Okay, so anyway, Joey Jaws. Jaws, I, I think, works. 68. All right, each contestant has his or her, or her own eating method. Kobayashi pioneered the Solomon method in his first competition in 2001. Man, it's like these guys are going for, for the Indy 500. What do they make from this? They, they, make, they make a pretty good prize money. And so they, they do different eating contests around the, around the world. They practice. Okay. Um, Kobayashi pioneered the Solomon method, which breaks each hot dog in half. You eat two halves at once, then eat the bun. Then eat the bun. The idea of eating the hot dogs and buns separately was first demonstrated by Kazutoyo. He was way back. Remember I mentioned him? And it's sometimes called the Tokyo style. One hand is often used for dunking the buns and the other hand for eating the hot dog. I'm getting ill. Dunking is the most prominent is the most prominent method used today because buns absorb water. Many contestants dunk their hot dogs or dunk just the buns in water and squeeze them to make them easier to swallow and slide down the throat with more efficiency. We're not thinking. Then they ring them out. I ring them out, sure. So you wind up, I guess, with like a little wad of dough that is easier to swallow than a giant bowl's got to be. Yeah, Other methods include... Being, you know, completely saturated because I would take it so much volume. That's right. That but squeezing them out makes, the, makes everything easier to swallow and slide down the throat. Mm-hmm. We're talking efficiency here, according to this. Mm-hmm. Um, other methods include the Carlene Pop, where the competitor jumps up and down while eating to force the food down into the stomach. Buns and Roses is a similar trick, but the eater sways from side to side instead. Julietting is a cheating method in which players simply throw... Oh, HDB, I guess, is a hot dog bun. Mm -hmm. Ah, see? Naughty, naughty. You can't throw them over your shoulder. Um, Contestants train and prepare for the event in many different ways. Some fast, other pre-liquify only. Oh, silly me. Some fast. Okay, that means, I mean, like, don't eat at all. I thought they were talking about speed. Others prefer liquid-only diets before the event. Kobayashi meditates, drinks water, and eats cabbage, then fasts before the event. This is incredible. I can't read anymore, Walden. But I just thought, I just thought you guys were, were missing what's been on ESPN every July 4th for all these years. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
did they say anything about them getting sick, Walden? Have you seen uh, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could I tune off for a minute? I'll be back in a minute. Uh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine anybody keeping that in them and feeling it all. And they and they go celebrate by having a meal afterwards. Are you serious? You're joking. No, I think I've heard. I think I've heard Joey interview that way. Are any of these contestants? Say again, Paul. Are any of these contestants really small people? I think Toby Oxy's supposed to be. A small, wiry type. Joey, pretty big. Yeah, you know what? I would. I. I don't feel drawn ever to enter a eating contest. Yeah, I don't blame you. Patricia and I would be done after three hot dogs, right, Patricia? Um. Yeah. I'm. I think if. I were pressed in competition. I could come through for the team with three. <laughs> I might. You got ten minutes. You know, I, I might be able to do six, but that's. Woo. You know, I'm, I'm guessing. Woo. Oh, here we go. In 2011, they started a women's division. Uh huh. Separate competitions are held for women and men now for the first time. Chestnut, good old Jaws, dominates on his way to his fifth straight title, eating 62 hot dog buns. How come they say hot dogs? Oh, hot, it must, HDB must be hot dogs and buns. Does that sound right? Probably. That would probably be right. Okay. We're using shorthand. This is like LOL, guys. HDB, LOL. <laughs> Ah, OMG! <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, let's see now. Um, Sonia Thomas won in 2011 for the first competition. Sonia Thomas won the women's division in 2012. And here comes Joey Chestnut again. He's up to 68. Oh, dear. You know, I mean, it, it, this guy just, he needs to be more consistent. <laughs> Joey Chestnut, 2009, 68 hot dogs. 2010, 54. Bad performance. 2011, he's back up to 62. And 2012, go, Joey! 68. Incredible. And is he still is he still with teams? us? I, I'm I'll I'll see if I can find a picture of Joey. Uh, did they say how many of the women eat? Oh yes yes. Oh forgive me I didn't tell you. All right, Sonia. Sonia is now. Um, okay, 2011 and 2012. 2011 was the first year. And in 2011, Sonia Thomas chucked down 40. In 2012, Sonia Thomas chucked down 45. Joey, she's closing the gap here. 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This is disgusting. Simply disgusting, or as Sylvester would say, simply disgusting. All right, let's see. Joey Jaws. Joey Jaws Chestnut. Oh, he is up on YouTube, it says. Um, he's a pretty hefty guy. Oh, he uses the jump up and down method, I guess. <laughs> wow. Oh, now look at that. He's, he's not, he's not huge. He's not but, strong? No. I mean, he's, he's husky, but he's not fat. He's not, oh, well. He's six feet tall and he's 218 pounds. Now, you know, I mean, muscle weighs a whole lot more than fat. So a poundage really isn't a, a good measure. But six feet tall and 218 pounds, it just doesn't seem like an awful lot to me. No. And here is Sonia Thomas. Her cheeks are fatter than she is. <laughs> And Kobayashi looks very small. Uh -huh. Oh, did they have any pictures of their bellies after they ate all that? No. No. You mean like before and after? Yeah. No, I just said after even. It's, uh, yeah, before and after would be good if they weighed anything, but it sounds like they don't. Yeah, I want they to have... They do a search for um, uh, Jaws... Jaws um, Belly profile after hot yeah. dogs, you know. I think Joey should wear a T-shirt saying, "What's the sponsor? Pesmodismal, right?" Yeah, right, yeah. right. <laughs> I survived. Sixty-eight. All right. It looks like Joey is also in um, a wings contest. Let's see what's here. Joey Jaws information and eating contest. Hooters, he ate 140 wings in 10 minutes. Um, let's see, ice cream, 14 and a half pints in 6 minutes. Oh, what a headache that would be. Oh, man. Chili, 2 gallons of chili in 6 minutes. Two. This guy is a machine. Did you say 2 or 10? 2 gallons. 10. Oh, I'm sorry, two, gall two gallons, yeah. two gallons, two, one, two, in six minutes. That's the world's chili eating challenge. So now we've got poutine. I don't know what poutine is. P-O-U-T-I-N-E. What is that? Don't know. P-O-U-T-I-N-G? T-I-N-E, yeah. T-I-N-E. T-I-N-E. I, N as in Nancy, E as in Edward. Poutine. Whatever it is, he ate nine and a half pounds in ten minutes. Now we have chili, 1.87 gallons in six minutes. This is all in, in 2012. Oh, I'm sorry, the first three. No, the first, first two were 2013. So we're still all in 2012. Sausages, buffalo wings, 
buffalo buffet bowl, whatever that is. He ate five pounds of that. Um, rib what? eating contest, buffalo bowl. Oh, it, it, buffalo buffet bowl. Uh -huh. I don't know. The bowl, I guess, excuse me, must have been like a Super Bowl, you know, competition. Right. I don't know what a buffalo buffet is, but he ate five pounds. Um, nugget. In the World Rib Eating Championship, he ate eight pounds of that in 12 minutes. Now we have daily foods. Gyoza Eating Championship. It's dumplings. I don't know how big they are. I don't know what they are, but he won $2,000 for eating 266 of them in 10 minutes. Taco Bell, 52 tacos in 10 minutes. That was only worth a hundred. That was only worth a thousand dollars. He's in the big time here with the Hooters World Wing Eating Championship in Clearwater, Florida. He picked up $7,500 for chugging down 144 wings in 10 minutes. There's money in them there, Hills. No, All right, Nathan's, are, Nathan's, they, pardon? just like a drumstick oven? Uh, chicken wings, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what qualifies. Because if it's wing, you got too much uh, bones to deal with. Yeah. Well, if you have to eat the tips, uh, I think that's probably a problem. I don't know how Hooters serves their wings. But Nathan's is the hot joint to be. It is the hot joint. 2012, he in for eating 68 hot dogs in 10 minutes. And I guess he could have stopped sooner because let's see what his competition was. Um, $10,000. You know? That's like, kind of like the only, only thing that would make it worth it to me. But I couldn't touch it. This is awful. 225 wontons, 297 wontons, um, chili, 16 pounds of chili. Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. Uh, when he had the sausage contest, I bet you that was a tremendous number of sausages. Well, let's sausage, yeah. sausage. Where did I leave off sausage? Tacos, sandwiches. Sandwiches, wontons, wontons, bratwurst. Where did I see sausage? I just said sausage. Yeah. Where was the sausage? Boom, da -dum. Oh, gosh, hold on. Bratwurst, there's the fat, shorter ones, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love those. All right, sausage, 2012. We've got seven matches on the sausages. Let's see what he did. 42 sausages. That must be it. <clears throat> 42 sausages in 10 minutes. He ate burritos, tacos, candy bars, hot dogs, sandwiches, um, ribs, pizza, yeah. Cheetos, shrimp, Wontons. How many pizza did he eat? Pizza. Um, 41 slices in 10 minutes. 
That's four slices a minute. Man, do you do you have to eat the crust? You know the the edge crust. I guess everything. You have to eat the whole thing. Yeah. You no. Know, wow. Wow. I mean, like, wow. All right. So that's. Shall we? Eight, seven, eight, four. All right. That's that's five whole large pizzas. <laughs> in ten that's minutes. Ambulance right there. Yeah, I know. You know, you can you come with your own steam shovel. Wow. All right. Shrimp wontons. Um, fried asparagus. We have a world deep fried asparagus eating championship. And he has won five out of six. As of um, 2010, he won five out of six and just missed the record this time in 2010. Eight and a half pounds of fried asparagus. This is incredible. All right, we've got Lula ribs, whatever Lula, Capri Lula ribs, corned beef, corned beef sandwiches, um, meatballs, A times crystal square crystal. What is crystal? K R Y S T A L. Big Angus. Five big Angus something or other. Um uh, fifteen almost sixteen pounds of grits in ten minutes. Now that's that's kind of not fair because grits come in different consistencies. You can have more water in some and not in others. Um, spaghetti. I beg your pardon? Are grits like uh, huge kernels of corn? Oh, but they're, well, they're not kernels of corn. It's corn that's ground up to a consistency that's probably a little bit larger than cream of wheat. Does that help? That's, that's pretty fine. Yeah, cream of wheat is is um, a little bit finer. Grits grits are not quite as fine, but they're not they're, they're not big. Okay, so you don't see any whole kernels. No. Made with regular corn or some like a big huge hominy size corn. You know. I don't know the different sizes. You'll hear it. You'll hear grits referred to as hominy grits sometimes, but I don't know if that's across the board. I just go in and say, "Oh, good grits," and I get grits. So you've eaten it? Oh, sure. I like grits. Um, do they just eat it plain, or do they put something with it, or? Butter and salt is best. I don't know what other people put on theirs, but eating it just plain is like eating cardboard. But there's just a wonderful flavor that comes out when you put a little chunk of butter on it and some salt. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. All right. Yeah. So we've got best in the West. We're still, we're still doing ribs, ribs, hot dog, chow ling, whatever that is, funnel mein. cake. Yeah. You say chow mein? No, chow, no, no, chow ling, L-E. L -L -E. N-G-E. Pizon Chow Leng. 
whatever it is. I do not know, but he ate 5.5 P-zones, whatever that is. Um, we're back to asparagus, funnel cake, sandwich, corned beef sandwiches, mac and cheese. He ate, in seven minutes, he ate 10 and a half pounds of macaroni and cheese. <sighs> Joey, we're going to send you out with a bang. He's been competing since... Um, what is the bottom of the list here? Okay, 2005. So now that means, <clears throat> excuse me, seven years. He's in his eighth year. And in eight years, the man has won a total of $347,000. That is not a lot of money eight for years, eight years. Eight years. I think 2005. 2005. Yeah. But, Patricia, think of all the free meals he got, too. Yeah, right. He, he he could be sick for a week for free. Um, I don't know. I don't know what kind of entry fees these things um, charge, and if there are entry fees in, in all of them. But uh, actually, it's three hundred forty-eight thousand. Three hundred forty-eight thousand divided by eight doesn't come out to be an awful lot. Yeah, he, he, it's not his full-time job. <laughs> Don't quit your day job, Joey. <laughs> about forty-five thousand a show a year. Not bad. Well, I suppose. Um, life expectancy for people who eat sixty-eight hot dogs at a time probably isn't huge, you know. Mm -mm. Uh, wow. My wife used to watch this program where. I would go around eating all kinds of different foods. What, what oh, yeah. Yeah, Andrew. I can't remember his last name. And there's a second one, too. So I watched him one time, and he was at this place that, now I, I don't know what to tell you as far as how many ounces or probably be more like it to say pounds that this big steak dinner mm -hmm. that if they finish it within a certain period of time they get the, the meal free and maybe they win something I'm not sure but it looked like it was maybe two and a half inches thick and as big as a gigantic platter and this guy they did pretty good <laughs> I remember seeing that particular program. I know which one you're talking about. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not even going to talk about it. <laughs> I just can't get my arms around that kind of stuff. All right. Well, good old Joey. Good stuff. Buffalo Buffet Bowl. Five minutes and 35 seconds, he ate five pounds. So I guess that was a target. You had to eat five pounds. Dear me, tamales. Mountain oysters. <laughs> yeah. You think it is, Walden? I okay. don't know. That, that's a good idea, though, Paul. It wouldn't be spies. No. Hey, you never know. No. <laughs> 
Ew, I'm not going to eat that. You can have it. Ew. Yeah, well, I, I, thanks, I Joey. I wouldn't make a contest of it, but I have had them uh, several times. Well, well rancher. Uh-huh. And uh, I've cooked it myself. And the last time I, uh, and when I see what I did it myself, I think I put it in scrambled eggs. Um, the last time I had it was with a guy who, him and his family used to go to our church. He was a, a real rancher as well and was running cattle for some rich guy um, right close to my town. And when we went out to have a uh, meal with him, you know, <laughs> and we had talked about You know, each one of those guys doesn't have an awful lot to contribute to a pile like that. Pardon me? I said each one of the of the contributors doesn't have an unlimited supply to donate. No, no. Well, this was a lot of contributors. Uh-huh. A very high number of contributors. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking, or they were thinking. Maybe they were thinking, well, if we don't cook them up, maybe... Well, we'll end up throwing them away anyway, so they'll probably end up saving it for the dog. Because that was way more than than I ever uh, seemed to remember during my uncle's that I went to. Well, that's not something that's going to be on my menu, so I'll save mine for you. Yeah, it's not. You know what? Uh, the way I look at it is it's. Um, it's not like people are uh, pounding on doors to go eat them. It's more to me like a curiosity thing. Yeah, I'm, I would think so. I would guess that some people develop a taste for it. But, I don't know, my imagination is just a little too vivid. You know, I, I tell people every once in a while, and forgive me, I know I've mentioned it on the show, one of my neighbors came over one time and said, this is so good, I brought some over for you to taste, and it was alligator tail, which is where the sweetest meat is, I am told, and there were just a couple of pieces on the plate, and I ate one and swallowed it, and it was okay, I mean, it didn't taste fishy or gamey or anything, it had a, a mild taste to it, I could not swallow that second piece, I could not swallow it. And it was all a head problem, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just couldn't do it. I knew where it came from. Yeah. You know, I think I think that sometime within the last couple of years, my wife has bought me for like Christmas. She put it in my stocking some um, smoked meat, and I think I think I did taste alligator. Believe that I had some, believe it or not, some yak. Y a k. Is that spelling it correctly? Mm -hmm. um, you are. That uh, I 
it's been several years, and you know, no, you know, I, I do not, I don't take too many risks. You know, you heard how sick I was a while back, so if there's any question at all, I'm not going to be doing it. You're judicious. Yes, I, yes. I think that's good. Um, well, Paul, we're just getting ready to wind down. We're almost up to 7 o'clock here. And when we say goodnight, we'll be able to tap into a show that's just um, in the right place. All right. You bet, Paul. You have a good week. I know you had a decent week this week, so pull for two. Thank you. Uh, you guys have a good one. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Paul. Okay, yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. Here we go. I think it's time we have to say goodnight to everybody. All right. Say goodnight to the family. <laughs> goodnight, family. Thanks for being with us and hanging in there with us. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good week, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. We love you all very, very much. Good night, Walden. To call it a day, they've burst your pretty balloon and taken the moon away. It's time to wind up the masquerade. Just make your mind up The piper must be paid The party's over The candles flicker and dim You danced and dreamed the night it seemed to be right just being with him now you must wake up all dreams must end take off your The party's over It's all over Present all page now. Call ended. Duration 3:36:49. From Walden Hughes at Sunday, April 21st, 2013, 3:59:39 a.m. Not delivered.
nothing in the world can thrill me anymore. Away trips, seagoing ships, not half as thrilling as touching your lips. Nothing that can quite fulfill me anymore. Broadway shows, evening clothes. Yep. Every gal's a raven beauty, hip tie 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 What I'm trying to get at is I can't wait to get down there again and hear this. It goes like this. And, uh, sure glad y'all come by. Don't y'all forget to come back now, you hear? Bye now. Bye. I'm gonna build a dopey palace for my Alice down in Dallas. So if you're ever down in Texas, look at that. And hello, everybody. It is Sunday, and good job, Kim Bragg. Just give her a round of applause for doing uh, good work this weekend, uploading your shows and things. Bill been under the weather, so Kim been holding down the fort down in Richardson, Texas. And you did a great job, Kim. We love you very much. Anyway, we have a Dwayne Kilstrip offering, which is the Eddie Hubbard Show, tonight. And then earlier this evening, we uh, hooked up with Dr. Michael Beale and Leah and recorded them via Skype in London, England. We have plenty of John Denny interviews to feature and good stuff like that there. So let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here. Help our friends. Help the homeless. The needy and the poor. The very ill. Look after those who have a short time to live, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here is Dwayne Kilfrit, and he wanted to feature Eddie Hubbard. So here's Eddie's show.
good morning once again. This is Eddie Hubbard at our usual spot. And when you hear that theme, you know one thing. It's time for the browsers. And sure enough, it is. Time for a little fun, a little trivia, a little history in the music business. And who do we go to for that? The experts in the wine cellar. W-H-I-N-E. Wine, wine, wine. And there we have Phil Holman and the gang. Morning, Phil. How are you doing, Eddie? Good. Who do you have with you today? Got a nice crowd here today. Uh, we have uh, Dick Parker. Good morning, Hello, Eddie. Dick. Hey, Richard. And uh, Bob Unterreiner. Good morning, Eddie. Okay, Bob. Good to hear from Dick Parker. He's incidentally one of the charter members of the Browsers. Right? That's right. From day one, yeah. Day one. Does he get some kind of go watch for that? Or what? <laughs> <laughs> He ought to give you some of that, Dick, I think. I don't know. To put up with those guys all these years. <laughs> all right. Well, I tell you, we are doing a show a little differently now. We're going to uh, out of people's life. I was out of town. I missed the uh, payoff of the, uh, of the Phil's Fooler. So we're going to do it all in one show. Going to give you one, Mike. Well, jolly good show. This is Michael B. It's, uh, it's 909, which is kind of early for... Uh, for us, we don't get off the air until one or two in the morning, <laughs> and I don't know how, well, how long have we been. Okay, we're uh, looking at it as exactly fifty-one, fifty-one. So we're talking, uh, you know, if, for, for broadcast about fifty minutes. Yep. So that's uh, it started at eleven. We go to twelve twenty. Oh, yeah, it started. So mm-hmm. next week, well, next week I'll talk to you from New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Perfect. next week we'll be back in back in the states. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any questions that you want to ask? Oh, no, or? I think you're good. I think you're good. I think I'll, I think we are in good shape. So, um, I will talk to you, both of you next Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is great. Terrific. So, from Sunday now, from. Uh, from uh, Merry Old England, from the Valley of London. Good old Starbucks. So, yes, uh, uh, this is Mike Beale. And Leah Beale. And uh, cheerio, ta-ta, we will uh, see you, uh, pip and all that, we'll see you next week. <laughs> Take care, guys. Okay. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> okay, we'll talk, we'll talk to you next week. All right, all right. Mike. Bye, guys. Now, here's John Dunning interviewing Marvin Miller. Join us again with Red Skelton next Tuesday. Red Skelton is heard in this program through the courtesy of Metro Golden Mayor. And 903. Red Skelton is brought to you by the Brown and Williamson Tobacco Corporation. NBC, the national broadcasting company. And the Red Skelton Show. A show called uh, People Who Think the Things They Do Are Unimportant. October 1st, 1946, the date on that show. And uh, that, uh, that does it for the three half-hour shows that we're going to play this week, and we're going to talk to Marvin Miller, uh, the millionaire's, uh, <laughs> the guy who delivered the checks, folks. Uh, he'll be he'll be ready in about five minutes. I got some other things I want to I want to mention before we get to him. 
the Radio Historical Association of Colorado. Um, it was fun. I'd only ran about a year, I think, and it finally went off. Couple of questions in closing. Do you have any idea how many radio shows you did in your life? Oh my God. <laughs> Even begin to talk about other shows that you were on. You were on hundreds, as you said. Yeah. We are. <laughs> We are coming up to the top of the hour, and Marvin Miller, even if you didn't come by and give me a million dollars when you were on The Millionaire, I, I want to thank you for all the entertainment and for being on with us this hour. Well, I love, with, I love Denver, of course. I wish I could spend some time there with you in person. I wish you could, too. I don't think you know this, but uh, my mother and father took their honeymoon there, and nine months after that, I was born. Oh. And I figured Denver is my real birthday. <laughs> That's pretty good. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. There's a John Dunning interview with Marvin Miller. Now let's get ready for John Dunning's interview with Phil Leslie, the writer of the Fibber McGee and Molly Show. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson White's Finishes for Hold and Industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Actually, this is KNUS in Denver, Talk Radio 71. No relation to the NBC. Uh, where we are just coming up to 13 minutes before 1. And I have on the phone from California uh, the man who uh, who certainly helped write that, uh, Phil Leslie, uh, who worked with Don Quinn on Fibber McGee and Molly for many years. Are you there? There he is. I suppose uh, listening to that uh, took you back. Yes, it did indeed. Mrs. Carstairs, I guess that was B. Benedict. Sharing all the stories about Fibber McGee and Molly. I've loved it. Well, thanks a lot. And lots of luck. Okay, take Thank care. Bye. Phil Leslie from Fibber McGee and Molly, and I really ran us out of time. We've got about two and a half minutes of commercials, and we'll be right back. All right. Now we're going to get into the Phil Hurst interview that John Dunning did next year on Yesterday USA. And here we go. That's powerful stuff. All my sons, Edward G. Robinson, Jeff Chandler, Irene Tedrow, from uh, February 27th, 1949. And uh, it's about nine minutes to four. We're going to try to get a hold of Phil Harris. We'll be right back after this. Old Time Radio continues now on Talk Radio 71. Here's John Dunning. Okay, we're back at uh, six minutes until four on KNUS in Denver. And uh, we haven't been able to get through to Phil Harris yet. We're going to keep trying here. Um, he told us on the phone yesterday that uh, there was a slight chance he might not be able to make it, but we will try him again here in the next few minutes. I brought in a bunch of uh, uh, short pieces that we could play. And uh, if we don't get him in, a, in the next 20 minutes or so, we'll put on another half-hour show and we'll try him again next week. 
All right, Walter Winchell and a show called Not the Tampico Twister, everybody. And uh, you've got to admit, Mr. Winchell had a very distinctive style. Uh, it is five minutes after four, and we are putting through another call to Phil Harris. I just talked to him. He's home, so we are evidently going to get through here in a minute. We've got some wonderful stuff coming up on Old Time Radio. We've got some great shows that have come in in the last uh, month, which I'll tell you about, hopefully, at the end of this hour, although I, I don't know how much time we'll have. Um, some new Fat Man shows. Are you getting the recording again? No? Uh, uh, we've got a couple of new Fat Man shows. Mint. Mint material. Um, that uh, just came in. Hmm? She's not getting it? No. We are, um, sick here, but I appreciate your being on. I don't even know who won. Oh, dear. No, it's tomorrow. No, no, I've enjoyed this very much because, I'll tell you, Denver's been very, very good to me. I just did a thing with Joe Dyer. Joe Dyer's very big at Cherry Hills. And I was the, uh, uh, my name is the first one on the rock out there with some other friends of mine. <laughs> I won the first uh, one of the first tournaments at Cherry Hills. Really? I played Cherry Hills a lot. And not only that, uh, um, the uh, Bob Shearer, who uh, all of you Denver people, you'll get a lot of calls on this, one of the nicest men I ever met in my life. He uh, had the public golf course, uh, what do you call it, uh, out on... Um, the one out of City Park? Yeah. What do you call that? Uh, yeah, I, I always used to call it City Park Golf Course. I don't know. No, something... Uh, uh, Wilshire? No, no, no. That's not... Uh, something about... Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know how to play golf, so I can't help you much. Well, <laughs> anyway, uh, I have a lot of friends in Denver, so... Uh, uh, does this thing play in Denver? It's on live in Denver right now. Well, you get a lot of calls because I got a lot of friends there. I got the Victors, who has a beautiful home out of Cherry Hills. I have uh, uh, Potts Berglund, who is big in the lumber business. And, oh, I have a host of friends in Denver. I love Denver. So you probably get a lot of calls. And when you do, I'd just like to take this opportunity to say, Denver, you were very, very good to me when I needed it. And I... Don't miss an opportunity to come back, because I love you all back there. Well, Denver loves you, too, and we loved your shows, and I wish you all were still doing that stuff, and that's for sure. All right. Well, look, it's very nice of you to have me on, and uh, if you'd do something for me, I'd, 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 get a, I'd really appreciate it if you'd send me a cassette of this. I sure will. You've and, got my address, haven't you? Uh, yes, I do. And listen, I, if there's any chance at all we could get Alice on sometime, I'd love to do that. Okay. Bye. Phil Harris. All right. Now here's one man family. <laughs> Now here's just going to be one man family. This is one man's family. <laughs> 
One man's family is dedicated to the mothers and fathers of the younger generation and to their bewildering offspring. Today, transcribed, we present Chapter 2, Book 73, entitled, Paul Makes a Decision. The newsboy who tosses the evening paper on the manicured lawns of Seacliff, San Francisco, sometimes looks enviously at the spacious houses, under the impression, no doubt, that the people who live along here are all rich. There's the Barber family home, for instance, an impressive house of many rooms, and the Middleton Place, which Rexford Frome and his sister Christine Abbott have made into a handsome dwelling, and Emily Stewart's mansion, and the Jack Barber house, smaller than some, but as attractive as any. The envious newsboy is too young to realize that Jack Barber, being a young lawyer and the father of six daughters, the eldest of whom is only seven, has a grim time of it once a month when he pays his bills. He's at his desk right now, as a matter of fact, with the checkbook open before him and the Christmas bills spread out in a formidable array. Come on, there's a nice fire in the library and the curtains are drawn. It's very cozy. Did you have dinner with Mom and Dad? Yeah, just finished. Oh, hey, this is nice. Ah, it's a night for wool. You've just heard Chapter 3, Book 73 of One Man's Family. Written, produced, and transcribed under the direction of Carlton E. Morse. Chapter 4, entitled The Sinister Shadow of Rexford Frome, will come to you next week at this same time. What's on NBC today? Two great shows in NBC's better Sunday lineup of gala entertainment are the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show and Sam Spade. Comedy at its rollicking best is yours on the Harris Faye Show, and there are plenty of chuckles mixed in with the thrills on the adventures of Sam Spade. Today, hear the Harris Faye Show, followed by Sam Spade. It's great entertainment on NBC. One man's family came to you from California. Coming up, it's the Quiz Kids. Stay tuned to NBC. We're going to stick it back to the automation system. Might be doing a show tomorrow. Uh, Bill is under the weather. And so if Mike's not doing it, I probably will do it. And so we'll see what the lineup will be. 13 after 1 here in the morning. Hope you're all doing well. With this April 21st, year the 2013. May the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. It's time I love you all very, very much. Good night, everybody, or good morning. They've burst your pretty balloon and taken the moon away. It's time to wind up the masquerade. Just make your mind The piper must be paid. The party's over. The candles flicker and dim. You danced and dreamed through the night. 
turn on Skype. That's pretty good. Hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, what do that music say? Ooh, that ooh, music ooh. say it's Walden Hughes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hello there, Johnny Hi there, Walden. How did you know we were going to be here? Oh, I did not really know. I just turned on the computer and there you are. Yeah, there we are. Yeah. We have an open line. There's an open line. <laughs> we never go offline. Nope. Just in case we're needed. I better put a timestamp on this, everybody, because for whoever's logging these shows, yeah, it's Monday. Not Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's Monday, April 22nd, year 2013. There we go. And we have... It was top five on earlier tonight. I didn't listen. That's, the gun smoke just made it. That's why I waited until the theme music finishes off. John, you must be uploading something because uh, you sound a little garb more garbled than usual. I am uploading stuff for your Dropbox. Yeah, little, little delay in the sound, so... Uh, mm-hmm. It's not yeah. too bad. Not bad. Not bad. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one, and it's seven thirty two. We were both been recording Patricia at the time. That's right. But, but we've been sideswiped. <laughs> Sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, what the heck, sideswipe. That's good enough. Sideswipe. Bill so, said I can't do it tonight, boys. Yeah. Yeah. I got cheap so, white burgers, have them do it instead. Yep. He said, I know I can get to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we are. Yeah, we are. Now, yep. so right. that, Patricia right. liked that because, poor thing, she's working on another uh, uh, another Friday night write-up. So that's how she's kicking the, the, the 90 minute while we're goofing off here. Oh, okay. So she'll be ready at 9 o'clock for yep. us to record a few more things. Yep. Good. Okay. okay, let's go over what's going to happen, everybody, on this fine radio network tomorrow. We are scheduled to interview Peter Gable for a future release t- transcribe. A more convenient time. time. Interview slot. Yep. He is the son of Martin Gable, who is best known for being... Uh, what's her name's husband? Mary... Um, Oh, oh, no, let's no. go back. Martin Gable is who? Oh, well, Martin Gable, of course, I remember him best for On a Note of Triumph. Very good. And his yep. and his mother is? His mother or his wife? His, his wife? Mother, well, Martin, uh, Martin's wife, Peter, Peter's mom. Yes. Who is? Is uh, Arlene? Yes. Francis. Yes, very good. John, you get the... What do I win? I win a new car. You get, uh, your dad will be very dangerous. You get, you get the Dr. IQ candy bars, whatever, yep. they, said, whatever oh, that was said there. They are, too. They're right in the living room. He'll go find one. Yeah. They're, 70, they're 70 years old. I'm not touching them. <laughs> Might be good to the last <laughs> drop. You never know, John. <laughs> anyway, that, and then we're trying to work on Jack Morgan, the son of Russ Morgan, to be our special guest. Hopefully this Friday. We'll see if that will be confirmed. It's a pirate. That's a pirate, yeah. yeah. Different one, though, I think. <laughs> that's true. And so yeah. that's sort of what's going to happen on this fine network that I know of at Sweet. the moment, but it's early. Now, on May 17th, yes. Friday night, yes. we have we have Carolyn Carroll, who is the wife of Eddie Carroll. She, her book has just come out. You can pre-order it. Go to uh, go to the website. EddieCarroll.com. Um, you can order that book now. Or at BearManorMedia.com. That's right. Yeah. She's going to be our guest. She's already done three interviews for the Radiogram and for Mayor for the Milwaukee Area Radio Enthusiasts and one other. And uh, and she's going to come on and do uh, the show with us on the 17th. 
That'll be good. That'll be good. And she'll be at Spurred Back, uh, and she'll be at a lot of places. So we're really happy to. Have her. Hello there, you are on the air? What day is it? Is it Saturday? Yes, it's Saturday. Yes, it is what? What is this? What day is it? it? It's Saturday. It's Saturday. No, it's Friday. Oh, yeah, it's it's Friday, that's where John Roy always shows up. That's right. Oh, why yeah, are you we're here. Sunday? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. how are you doing, Ron? Hey, I'm fine. Hey, listen. Yes. What's the date of the big um, Spurred Back convention in November? Go ahead, Larry. November? I can't remember. Is it the 15th? 15, 16, 17. I couldn't remember whether it started on the 15th or the 16th. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, November 15, 16, and 17. And it's at the Beverly Garland Hotel in Burbank, California. And, Ron, do you want to come over? We'll let you, we'll let you play the piano. Beverly Garden Hotel. Yes. yes. Okay, now, um, all right. So that means it's in Beverly Hills? No. No, it's in Burbank. Actually, no, it's Hollywood. Uh, yeah, that's true. On the border so there. So what am I thinking of? Are yeah, you guys all staying so. over there? Yes. Yeah, North Hollywood. Yeah. It's too far away from, it's too far away for us to commute from <laughs> where we are over there. So, yeah, we'll be staying there. Okay. You know. Uh, the reason why I ask is I have a friend that lives in Irvine. Uh-huh. What's the story? 15 minutes from my house. Yes. Yeah, well, I know. It's pretty close to your house. Yeah. And last time I went to Las Vegas, met me in L.A. and we drove to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. This time, I think I'm going to ask him to meet me at the airport and we'll head on over to North Hollywood or wherever that hotel If If he doesn't want to do that, I'll come and get you at the airport. I don't... I don't... <laughs> I would... I would interest him. But, and I know... Um, now, do you folks on this... Um, you folks have some live um, productions, or what's the agenda like? You mean uh, at the convention? Yeah, at the convention. Oh no, there'll be there'll be at least six or seven recreations that are going to be live. Uh-huh. At least, maybe more. And, we'll and, and I know this will quote the deal. Glory McMillan and Janet Waldo are scheduled to be there, Ron. Right. Yep, but they're already scheduled. We haven't talked about that yet. Okay, there are two so far. And I, I sit next to one of them. Or, or do I have to hog it to Walden? <laughs> well, I think there's a possibility. I haven't talked to the uh, table setter, Barbara William, but... A we, couple, probably, co- we, we might be able to make that happen. I think that's a good chance. I you, mean, why should Walden always have the keys and all the, all the good stuff, man? He, he's got to spread it around, man. Uh, yeah, I think probably we're going to have Walden probably sit on, on a seat that is basically in the bathroom. I'll be in the green room. Go. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yep. He'll be clapping loud, and people are wondering what he's like clapping it. about. Well, he's going to shut the door in, on the theater, and the panel room will never get out. <laughs> right. so, now, is there a tray table? I mean, is there a table where you can buy stuff? Yes. There will be some tables. I don't know. We haven't set that up yet. We're still working on that kind of stuff. It's still early. I can give you... I can give you... Well, let me go get my master list. Who has scheduled to be there, so... Well, you, you Let's talk. get the master list. Yeah. Uh, get the master, master list because I don't have it in front of me yet. Uh, but but there's there's already quite a few who have said yes. You know, I'm really seriously. I I'm really excited about coming over because I, I think, don't live you know too far away from L.A. I mean, twenty five hundred miles in that. Yeah. Have you ever been to a Spurred Back convention before, Oh, Ron? that's why. I never, never, never have that? Okay. 
well, that's actually I never been to any old time radio convention because they never have it in Hawaii. They always got it in New Jersey or mm-hmm. far off. Oh, I know you guys get one in Seattle, right? Yeah, that's coming up in June. Yeah. Then what's the difference that one? Okay, I'm back. Well, they're very similar in a lot of ways, but there are some differences which we'll talk about here in a bit. Here, here are the current people who are scheduled to be at Spovac. Bob Hastings, Gloy McMillan, Chuck McCann, Tommy Cook, Ivan Curry, uh, Stuffy Singer, Terry Moore, Richard Hurd, Gladys Holland, and Janet Waldo, Johnny McGovern, so, and more will be added. So that's... Oh, yeah, a lot more will be added. This yeah. is still April. You can try to get Shirley Mitchell over there. Where does she live? Shirley's not too far away. It's just, Shirley's had some health issues, so yeah. we have, we have, we don't know for sure whether she'll be able to come or not. We're not sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll hope for the best. Yeah, tell me we'll hope for the best. Now, Ron, if you want to play... Hey, we, we, you know, we could probably throw you in a couple of live cre- recreations if you want to do I am going to see if I can put myself together and make an effort to come on that convention because it sounds like it's a rip-roaring fun time. And um, um, your friend is the president, right? Larry is the man. And his twin brother, John, is the VP. So you can't you can't go wrong. And you where can- is, uh, where, where's your I have a senior moment now. The guy that um, sells a whole lot of CDs now. Jerry Hendigas. Jerry Hendigas. Very good, Jerry Hendigas. Jerry may or may not be there. The conventions aren't Jerry's thing. He, uh, he might come. I don't know. But he, he doesn't really usually come to meetings or conventions. It's just. I think Larry's going to have him at home making CDs. That's probably what's going to yeah, wind we'll up see. happening. We'll see. We'll, we'll talk to Jerry and see what we want to do here. <laughs> so. Isn't he one of your board members? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I sure hope he comes. He sounds like a real nice guy. Yeah, he is. He is. We've known him for 30... 40. 41 years. Him? Holy wow. mackerel. What? Thank you so much for reminding me. <laughs> 40 years we've known Jerry. 41. How old were you then? 11? <laughs> uh, 17, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's exciting. Well, anyway, I'm going to cut you guys loose, but I... I I, after I talked to um, Walden Saturday night, I seriously um, am contemplating about surprising myself by being at the convention so I can get to meet Gloria McMillan in person and harm her out of um, loving Walden as much as she does. Yeah. <laughs> and, don't, and we'll get a chance to meet you because we've never met. Yeah. She always you- expressed so much love for Walden and it kind of knocks me off the loop. Hey, 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 hey. Walton, hey, Walton who? Yeah, Walton who? Hey. Yeah. Hey, you know, that's why I always make sure, you know, that's the part of the benefits of creating the convention. I get to know who I'm going sit to sit with for dinner for crying out loud. Yeah. Now, I don't have that pull at Spurvac, but I do at reps, you know. Yes, you do. At reps, you do, yeah. Yeah. At Spurvac, a no. no. It depends on when you get your check-in. That's true. That's what it's all about with Spurdback. That's why Beverly Washburn can be my dinner date for three straight years, because I already put that in. So, see. Spurdback or reps? For reps. Uh, uh, Larry, reps. Uh, do you guys go to um, Seattle also? Or just... I went, John and I went to the first seven or eight of them, and then and then we stopped for a while. 
And we were supposed to go last year, and then Melinda passed away. But we are definitely going this year. We will be a little busy. Uh, I think Wallen's just getting even with us because he was busy last year because we weren't able to go. So, yeah, we're going this year. Hey, and Paul, if you're listening to us, uh, if you can uh, help us do the Skype broadcasting, let us know. I know it's 10th of April, so if you're listening to us while you're working in your warehouse, let us know. Yeah. Because we'll be broadcasting the, the rep convention. This is going to be the easiest rep convention I've ever had. Because John and Larry can do all the work. <laughs> and Brian can run around. This is going to be a piece of cake. Is Dr. Beal back home or something? He does that one. Talk. Now, I don't know how interesting it would be. Who knows? It depends because, I, you know, he's got to think about those things. You know, give him at least 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. But Let we'll see. Sorry. I, I, and, and Walden, seriously, I, I hope to be there. And I think if everything goes right, I can be there. And, um, well, and, and Ron, can you help with getting to the airport, to the hotel? Uh, let me know and I'll work on that. Yeah, see, I would help. I would help, but I don't. I, I only do freeways. I have a... So, you know, if you... If, if you're going to do side streets, forget it. I'm not doing it. Let Walden do it. I have a friend that, that I know would, would love all, all, all radio shows and stuff like that. And like I say, he lives in Irvine. And we're, we're close. And I, if I let him know way ahead of time, he's retired too. So I'm sure we can, we can put it together. Well, that would be great. We'd love to see you. You bet, Ron. Hey, well, you guys have a good one. I'll be listening. Okay. Thanks right. so much. Aloha. Aloha. All right, 714-545-2071. Keep calling. We want to play in the radio show. <laughs> well, Seven- we talked about Blondie. What else, what else have we got, John? Well, I found a whistler from 19, from December 9th of 46, and, and Betty Lou Gerson seems to be the main star. It's called With My Own Eyes. So why are we using Betty Lou Gerson? Because it's her birthday, right? Right. Yes. More yeah. than 19, On one of these 14, days. Yeah, so, gosh, she would have been 100 next year. Wow. You had her, um... 79. And I'm trying to think, Lou Lawyer. Lou Lawyer and her were married at the time. Right. When you And I think you had them both together, if I recall the meeting. No, actually, we had them separately. We had her in 79 and Lou, uh, I think, a little later okay. by himself to talk about rate. But he was in the audience. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. She was married for the people, Joe Inslee, who was the main... Director of First Nighter, and uh, and then when he passed away, she remarried, mm-hmm. and she was always sort of to me like the the uh, she had that distinctive voice, you know, you could tell yes. she was from Alabama or from the South, right? You know, very distinctive. Just a neat lady, and she always we, we used her a few times at Spurred Back mm-hmm. at the conventions, but she would come every year. And just, you know, watch and see your friends. That was part of it. It was, yeah, part of it was to watch, but more of it was to see your friends. And uh, she came very, very often. And we played, she played in a couple of shows for us, too. Um, we're also going to do a program. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Did, just, did Justice Triumph? Uh, Julia Noah is in this program, who, of course, was Perry White on Superman, right? Yes, right. So let's play one of the shows first and see what happens after that okay um this is a program because it was arthur lake's birthday not long ago 
Right. Uh, yeah, right, Thursday. Right. Last Thursday. Yeah, it's it's the Blondie show with Blondie and Dagwood. Now, also, the guest star on this show is Fanny Bryce. And what year so, are we talking about? This is uh, October 8, 1944. Oh, before I think Jeff Shovers when he was when he was uh, uh, Alexander. Uh, Alexander, yeah, just a little bit. So yeah. this might have been Tommy Clark. I guess well, he has to, you have to guys put your ear to that to see if this is Tommy or whoever. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember. I didn't listen to that far in to see if it was Tommy. But I'll listen now. So we'll go back and if listen. If not, we'll call Tommy and ask him. Yeah, and he'll say, I don't. I don't know. know. I don't know. <laughs> back to October 8, 1944. Here's Blondie and Dagwood. Ah, uh, don't touch that dial because there's nothing else on. You might just as well listen to Blondie. <laughs> Blondie rebroadcasts for the servicemen and women of the United Nations with Penny Singleton and Arthur Lake as Blondie and Dagwood Bumpstead, respectively. Before we join the Bumpsteads of Shady Lane Avenue, let's gather around the bandstand for a curtain raiser from Lenny Kahn and his orchestra. Raise that curtain, Len. visit with our neighbors, the Bumsteads of Shady Lane Avenue, who have as their guest tonight, Fanny Price as Baby Snooks. 
Yes, tonight, Baby Snooks is going to visit the Bumstead. But first, let's look in at 127 Shady Lane Avenue and see what's going on. Something seems to be wrong with Alexander, the pride and joy of the Bumstead family. It seems he isn't enjoying school this year as much as he did before. Blondie and Dagwood are talking to Alexander, who's just arrived home after a hard day with his teacher. Well, Alexander, how did school go today? Huh? I said, how did school go today? I didn't notice. <laughs> hey, what's the matter with you? What happened today? I don't know. I haven't seen the evening paper yet. Ow. We mean what happened at school. Oh, at school. Yeah. Oh, Alexander, please pay attention and focus your eyes. Excuse me, Mom. Seems like you're only half here. It's even less than that. <laughs> Look, Alexander, we'd like to know what happened at school. We're your parents, and we hope we're not asking too much, but we would like to know what happened at school, if, if anything. <laughs> Oh, it's the same old stuff. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. What? Well, the teacher asked me some questions, and I answered the questions. Yeah, well, I... Forces Radio Andy and Dagwood from October 8, 1944, with Tommy Cook as Alexander and Fanny Bryce as Baby Snooks. And guess who we have on the line? Who do we have on the line? Mr. Guest. Fanny Mr. Bryce. Fanny Bryce. Are you Fanny Bryce, Mr. Guest? I have never been so insulted in all my life. All right, Joan Davis. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Get, I'm telling you, you're going to get it. <laughs> How you doing, Tommy? <laughs> little Alexander. <laughs> I didn't tell Johnny Larry to pull a fast one on him here. By <laughs> no, but I, I figured when you had a special guest, I figured it had to be Tommy. <laughs> oh, those were the great old days. I got to tell you something. Fade out, fade in. Yeah. Just a couple of years ago. Um, Hanna-Barbera invites all the people that did lead voiceovers uh, for their cartoons uh, to come to a special opening at a ballpark uh, for the opening of Cartoon Network, where um, uh, all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons from the past uh, were now going to be shown on the Cartoon Network. So they have this fabulous bus for us to take us down to this ballpark where they have the huge screen, and we're 
doing little bits uh, on the ball field there, and they have a couple of thousand people in the stands. And all of a sudden, I get on the bus. This is just a couple of years ago now, and there's Penny Singleton with her mm. daughter. Uh-huh. Well, we looked at each other, we hugged, and we cried. And it was 50 years since we did the show, and I said, oh, Penny, Penny, you still look fabulous. You're still blondie. And she says, Tommy, I don't know how they put up with me all those years because I did nothing but give them trouble and complain. Uh, you know, there was a lot of animosity and uh, uh, between Arthur Lake and Penny. Uh, not really animosity, but let's say jealousy, uh, because the shows were always, you know, for for uh, Dagwood. They had to do with Dagwood more than uh, Blondie, but it was the Blondie show. Yeah, but I... she was, she had been doing, I didn't realize, she'd been doing a lot of the voiceovers for Hanna-Barbera. And about a year later, she passed away. She was about 90, 91. Yes. And into her. But boy, after 50 years. Wow. Well, you know, they could do a lot more with a Dagwood character than they could with, with exactly. Blondie's character. Well, you hit it right on the nose. Yeah. It was the pivotal character where everything revolved around. You're absolutely right. Do you remember how you got the show, Tommy? Was there an audition or did a director? Well, I, I, um, Don Bernard was the director and, um, he also was the director on The Life of Riley, I believe. And, um, you know, it wasn't until many, many, many years later that I realized that I was not the original junior on The Life of Riley. I think that Conrad Binion did it for the first week or two. I never knew it. I don't know what happened, why, but uh, they brought me in and, you know, I stayed on for three years, whatever it was. Uh, on the life of Riley, and I don't think I was the original uh, for Blondie. But uh, William Esty Company was the, uh, they were the advertising agency, and uh, I got called in uh, to do it and uh, stayed with it the entire time. We were looking at last week, Arthur Lake would have been 104. Really? And what's your memories of Arthur Lake? Well, uh, I uh, I loved him, and he was so nice to me. But we had a ritual every week. The show uh, was on Sundays, I believe, and we would do around four or so the first show for the East and come back for the uh, show on the West a few hours later. And every time about, oh, 25 minutes before we go on the air, I follow him. He runs across the street to Columbia Pictures, tells the uh, the, uh, the, the uh, policeman on charge. He says, "Please, please, get me to my get me to my dressing room quick. I gotta I gotta get dressed." Oh yes, Mr. Lake. Oh yes. So we run into his dressing room. He has to put on his special uh, Dagwood outfit. And with the bow tie, and every once in a while he'd forget the bow tie and would have to go into the bathroom and, and, and wind up some toilet paper to look like his, uh, his, his uh, bow tie. But every week, the same thing. I would run with him, and he would run across the street. 
time to say Blondie, which would open the show. Uh, he was he was something. And that was by design, right? Yeah, it was just, uh, he just it, that was his that was his routine. Yeah. The other thing I remember is that Hanley Stafford, who played uh, what Mr. Dithers, mm-hmm. uh, they always counted on him to rewrite his dialogue and to make it sharper and funnier. And because he was brilliant, because married to beautiful Viola, uh, Viola Bond at the time, but um, he would rewrite his dialogue every week, and they counted on him to do it. Well, you know, he he was an incredible talent because early in his career, he was a great dramatic actor. He did a lot of drama. Oh, uh, he was. Uh, and then later comedy. I mean, Elliot Lewis did that. Maybe a handful of others, but not very many. Yeah. Well, Elliot was uh, Elliot was the best all around actor. Uh, you know something? The top radio actors were not only good actors; they were brilliant. I mean, Elliot was very, very bright. Hans Conried was very, very bright. I mean, the people in Arch Obler's stock company, uh, Mercedes McCambridge, well, I don't know how brilliant she was, but she was her, his favorite act. And, uh, I mean, some of the work that she did for Arch was just uh, unsurpassed. But I, I always felt that the top actors in radio were just very, very bright people so uh, and Hanley Stafford fit that bill uh, definitely definitely was it because you think they had to read and also had to be quick on your feet just in case you uh, pardon me don't you think because you had to be quick on their feet and they had to read oh, I, I don't know most of them most of the top actors did not uh, did not um, uh, rehearse on their own they knew the part, and uh, they would do it at rehearsal, and that was it. They would never look at their script. I remember Lou Merrill never marked a script. <laughs> he didn't even mark his line. The only thing he ever marked was when, after dress rehearsal, we cut out lines or added, you know, for the timing. And then, of course, he would write something in. But his, his script was just plain, never made a mark in it. So, uh, but I, I think I, you, those, those, those guys were just, they were fabulous. And as I say, uh, I think that Elliot was, I mean, yeah. look, he was a leading man, top character actor. He was an announcer. He did comedy, the Jack Benny uh, series, etc. There was nothing that, uh, and then Elliot, uh, later on in his life, uh, became an executive uh, CBS Mm-hmm. I was co-starred on Climax, which was a live show, you know. Uh, we did uh, The Champion. I played the Arthur Kennedy role. And he was uh, one of the producers on that show. And then he ended up doing... Uh, um, he and Fletcher Markle wrote and directed a series of plays. I think, was it on the um, Sears... Sears Radio Theater. Because oh, uh, yep. uh-huh. I did it's... several of them, and one of them, they let Arch Obler, you know, my boy who discovered me, come in and do his own thing in one of his old, old shows. But um, uh, Elliot ended up writing and uh, directing. 
and then later on wrote a bunch of novels as well. And I think you're right, uh, Tommy, in, out of all the people that we saw, you know, when we began to be interested in radio and we'd meet all of these people, they were all incredibly bright, yes. quick people and, and, and had a variety of things going on all at the same time. It wasn't just one thing. They were all bright, very, I'll bet you IQs were very, very high. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, uh, of course, uh, those were the uh, happiest times of my life. Uh, there was nothing more scintillating for me and enjoyable than working those radio shows with those great actors. And uh, my mom and dad would pick me up. You know, and drive me home, I would take buses and stuff to the uh, CBS or NBC uh, right on uh, Sunset. And, of course, going to Brittingham's restaurant right next door to CBS, that was always part of it. But there they would be to pick me up. I would sit on my mom's lap, and my dad would drive me home. And uh, I know that I gave my parents... Uh, some of their happiest times. So uh, I um, uh, I always say that radio was the nicest period in my acting career. That and uh, that and dealing with Walden on a weekly <laughs> Yeah, and of course you know uh, being discovered by Arch Obler. I mean, uh, you know Arch Arch Arch's stock company. Come on. Uh, with Elliot and uh, Hans Conrad, Lou Merrill, Byron Kane, True Boardman, Jerry Hausner, uh, Mercedes, of course, J Mary Jane Croft, and of course all the original music was the great Gordon Jenkins. Yeah. And then uh, he wrote for his people, his stock company. You know, one week it was Mercedes, the next week it the Elliot. And then uh, I was lucky enough to star in four or five of his shows, and he wrote right for me, you know. He knew me, would never let me rehearse, would never let me take the scripts home to Woodshed. I wasn't allowed until the dress rehearsal, because he knew that I knew that character, and he just wanted that, that, that natural performance. And uh, it was... Uh, uh, it was. It, he wrote like uh, it was me, you know. It was like, like I wrote it. The the, the, the the lines were like they just came. That was part of my life. Those lines. Mm -hmm. So you weren't reading. You were just that character. He he had that faculty to to uh, do that. And uh, so those were great days. I don't. I never want to forget those days. Was Gloria Blondell part of his acting I think, company? Yes, she did. Um, I think she was on a couple of shows, but once again, Mercedes, of course, in those days it was Mercedes when she did Giant and won the Academy Award, they called her Mercedes. Uh -huh. It was always Mercedes and radio. She was, she was very young, absolutely Arch's favorite. I mean, he had used Lorene Tunnel, one of the all-time greats, and he used Mary Jane Croft an awful lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, But uh, some of the shows that uh, Mercedes did were just uh, unbelievable. I remembered one show that she starred in for Arch. It was like she was on Broadway because she knew, she knew the script, and she would 
take the script and press it against her chest and just do the show to the person on the other side of the mic, you know. Wow. Uh, she was she was very young and she had a drinking problem. And mm-hmm. my mother became very close to her and tried to counsel her, you know, about her drinking. And uh, but she was she was one of she was one of the greats. Uh, of course, Walden knows the deal uh, with Lou Merrill. What happened? Uh, he, uh, he Lou worked with them all the time, but they would get into big arguments. And one day during rehearsal, I um, walked out of the um, out of the uh, rehearsal room, and uh, in, right um, in the um, in between the rehearsal room and going into the control room, Arch was coming out. I was walking in, and there was Lou Merrill. They got into an argument, and Lou picked up little Arch Obler and picked him up and turned him upside down <laughs> with his head bouncing on the ground. I was so unnerved. I didn't know what the hell to do. I just got the hell out of there. But um, uh, even though... They quarreled. There was great respect, and Arch used uh, Lou Merrill all the time. I can't remember who told us this. Somebody did, but but they told us a story about Arch Obler and Lou Merrill. And Arch Obler had been a boxer early on, and gotten a gotten a big screaming argument just before the show with Lou Merrill, and and finally he just he he got so ticked at him, he threw a right hand and hit Lou Merrill in the jaw. And and Lou Merrill, his eyes kind of glazed over a little bit, and then he did the show, never said a word. Yeah. Well, but, uh, Lou was a big, big, heavy yeah, guy. Yeah. And his, his wife taught acting. What was her name? Um, Celeste Rush. Celeste Rush. What? Rush. Yes, yes, yeah. She taught. Uh, they, um, Arch had great respect for him as an actor, but they didn't get along they did quarrel like crazy but that uh, that's interesting yes arch uh, was a pretty good athlete arch could take care of himself and uh i know that uh, frank c um had interviewed arch and they they uh they were pretty close at one time and uh, frank told me that uh, uh, arch was uh, could really handle himself but um Look, he was uh, he was one of the triumvirates with uh, the poet laureate of radio, Norman, and uh, with mm-hmm. Orson Welles. I had the great opportunity to work for all three. I did one show uh, with uh, Orson Welles. I wasn't part of the Mercury Theater, of course, with Agnes Forehead and Ray Collins and those people. But I did one show, and I'll never forget it, because... During rehearsal, all of a sudden, Orson would stop and start telling these stories. And we couldn't figure out whether he was just making them up or whether they were true. (laughs) And we never finished the rehearsal. Finally, the the director just said, well, uh, we've, uh, you know, we've gone as far as we can go. Uh, We'll see everybody in the next day or so. You know, never finished rehearsal with his stories. And to this day, I don't know whether he 
Orson was putting us on, making up stories of whether they were actually true. So, uh, uh, well, funny well, it, I ended know. up, I got a call from um, an advertising agency in New York. They wanted Orson to do a commercial for the Nikki Nikka Whiskey Company in Japan. Not to be shown in the United States, but just all over Japan. And they said they heard that you can get a hold of anybody, Mr. Cook. And I said, well, I think I can. So I located him. He was staying at um, Peter Badanovich's home. So I got a hold of uh, Orson, and um, uh, I was able to make the deal. The deal was for him to shoot the commercial with his own cameraman, uh, Graver was his name, that Orson always used in Los Angeles. We get there to shoot the commercial, and Orson decides, no good. He wants to do it in France. <laughs> so the, the Japanese group, they're going bananas, but what could they do? They said, well, okay. They stopped everything cost them a hell of a lot more, and they did it in France. Orson wanted to have a free trip to go to France. <laughs> so uh, they did it, and they showed it. Now the agency decided they didn't want to pay me because of all that uh, stuff, uh, my $10,000 fee, and I said, hey, fellas, uh, you're going to be sued. Well, two weeks later, they paid me, but uh, uh, that was Orson. Can you believe that? And he got away with it. Got away with it. Oh. Gary Graver, that was his uh, personal uh, cameraman. And uh, so they went and shot the damn thing. And uh, But I guess it worked fine. And as I say, it was only shown, Nika whiskey, was only shown in, um, in Japan. I guess Orson was quite a big uh, celebrity still in Japan at that time. So... Anyway, uh, and of course with Norman, I'll always, I'll always remember Norman when you uh, honored him at Spurdvac. Yeah. I guess he just turned a hundred. Yeah. I remember his comment. We had that special breakfast for me. He said, "Oh, to be ninety again." <laughs> what a, was that a perfect line? That's true. Oh God. Anyway, those were the days. Yeah. All yes. right. All right, Tommy, we'll see you at reps. Yeah, on the 11th. No, we'll see you at PBB before that, I'll bet you. true? Yeah, on the 11th, you'll have the... Um, we'll see, we'll have Pacific Pioneers, everybody, May 10th, and then Tommy Cook, Conrad Bing, and Gloria McMillan will join me at Spurback. And we, we were talking to... Uh, last night we were talking, Walden and I and John were, and we said, wouldn't it be great to get Michael Feinstein to do this show? It would be so We want to work on that. To do the... Uh, to do, do our show. To do our radio show sometime. Oh, yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't he? Well, you never know. Because he loves the same kind of music that we do. Yes. And then, everybody, if you want to go and have a good time, uh, Tommy Cook and Terry Moore and others will be in Seattle June 21, 22, and 23. And we're honoring Tommy Sunday, 23rd. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm forward to that. I'm just putting it, the retrospective, together now. And my son will... Uh, uh, adapted uh, with some lines of radio shows, bits and pieces of films, and uh, put it on his laptop. I've got it down to uh, 
18 hours now. <laughs> and well, I hope to I'm, have it. Uh, I'm glad we're going to see the short version. Have birth. it trimmed to nine hours. <laughs> I've got special pills for the artist to keep them awake. <laughs> I may have to go to the bathroom after four and a half. <laughs> yeah, after the first 30 seconds, they'll be going They're going to have commercial breaks. We'll sell spots yeah. in between, don't yeah, we? Yeah, definitely play some music. Yeah. <laughs> I may not eat I breakfast. Tell a couple of I Love Lucy stories or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tommy, we love you. Good talking to you all. Take care, Tommy. Right on. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, <laughs> shoot, that was good. But we we got 22 minutes left unless we go over. Uh, so we don't have time for a full 30-minute show unless we just go over. Well, we could all play one of the 15-minute shows or whatever. Can you or, find a 15-minute show? We, got it. we can take calls here, everybody. 714-545-2071. Up to you. we got 20 minutes to go. Call us so we don't have to play a, a That's radio true. show. That way. Can you call before John finds a 15-minute radio show? This is, this is Dialing for dollars. Well, we don't have any dollars to give. <laughs> who who hosted that thing on? Remember, wasn't it Channel Five who had dialing for dollars? Dialing for dollars. It was the guy sitting there on the TV show with the big telephone books. There we go. Hooray for us! Uh, did the Panama Quiz, and he was at the first Spurtback convention. Ah, hello there. You're on the air. Hello, Walden. Hello, John and Larry. Hey, Jim. How are you? Very, very well. How about yourselves? We're well. We're very good. Good. That was a very interesting interview with uh, Tommy Cook. Completely unplanned and unrehearsed. <laughs> we uh, we recorded that about six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly had some very, very interesting stories to tell. Yes. And, and you know oh, what? All of your guests. And you know what? I figured out this is Tommy's 75th year in show business. Really? He started in 38. Wow. That's a, that's a good run. 75 years. Wow. Good run for Tommy. Yeah. Considering he's only 74, that's still pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well, he'll be doing, I guess he'll be performing at, uh, at your convention in uh, Seattle. He's going to be everywhere. Yep. He's already committed to Spurvac. We just gotta figure out what to do with him. We'll figure it out. Something. We got time. We'll get, we'll get, you know, we'll get told the director that gotta come up with a script now. Yeah. 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 But no. I know you won't have time tonight, but um, if you're on tomorrow, that might be a fun night. If if you're on tomorrow to play that show you talked about, Justice Triumph, might be interesting to hear. Oh yeah, you know that's a pretty good show. If if we don't, maybe we definitely play it Friday. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because we'll have to work on something for Friday. We may have an interview Friday. Not sure yet, yep. but we'll... Well, see, we, we won't know until it's about 10 minutes before the show <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> whether Walden will be on. Larry and I won't. We're we're rehearsing tomorrow night, but wait Walden minute, might. Wait a, minute, wait a minute. I can remote you. You guys got your iPhone. We can just remote in here to rehearsal, can we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's tomorrow. tomorrow. Friday is a different story. That's true. Friday will be here. We'll definitely be here. So we'll, the, we'll see. And I know, speaking of birthdays, the 25th is Edward R. Murrow's birthday. Oh, uh, you didn't have that one written down, I no, don't think. No, I didn't so have that's that. That's a then. great idea. And I know you've got a couple of things that I sent to Walden, including one of the, the first Here It Now show. 
Yes, I have that. It's on Glory Garage at the moment, but you know. I have, I've, I've got it from, not from discs, but pretty close. So yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah, so that would be fun. And uh, I'm trying to think of other birthdays that are coming up. Uh, for April 30th is going to be Fulton Lewis Jr.'s birthday. Uh, yeah, you're all good with news birthdays. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Ebar, news, news is one of my news is one of my radio interests. Was, oh, it all, okay. was it always, Jim? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I Ebar. used to listen to. Uh, well, the program that really got well, two two programs really got me interested in news. Of course, Monitor, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other one was the one that Fred Foy narrated in the early '60s when I was like 11 or 12, called Voices in the Headlines. Oh, sure. I think Best I have a narration, couple of this, And I knew about that show before I ever knew he was on The Lone Ranger. Ah. Cause, uh, think, and hearing we him have a couple of those shows with just, him in it. He made the news just come alive, you know, like uh, yeah. the second week of June, 1964. And, and it just grabbed your attention. His voice could just grab your attention. Yeah, he, he even, even when he was announcing the Dick Cavett show, he made it come alive. Oh, yeah. And so news was one of mine, and, and I, then I started listening to some of the commentators on the radio, and then I started collecting news. News is one of my, I guess news is more of my interest in, say, comedies or, well, I like drama, of course, mm -hmm. but news is kind of kind of my specialty, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Well, you've given us a couple of extra birthdays here, so we'll try and squeeze all of that in on Friday as well as, as other stuff. That's a good idea. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I have a few Fulton Lewises. I have I have a couple from 40 and 41, and I think I've got a couple from 48. Well, Kim, who was the good news source when you were buying stuff 40, 50 years ago? Who, What dealer had the most of the news that you bought from? Well, some of it was from trades. Marv Bensman in Memphis had a lot of news. Yeah, I remember Marv, sure. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's where I got those soaps from 1960. You know, mm -hmm. those... Uh, September 6th, yeah. September 6th. Yeah, he had a lot of news. Golden had a lot of news. And I don't know who else did. Uh, there was a collector in Pennsylvania named Josh Bray I used to trade with who had news. I don't know if you remember Josh Bray or not. No, I don't think so. No? Larry Kiner had a lot of news, too. Yeah. For radio reruns. Oh, yeah. He had, uh, that's where I got some of the Pearl Harbor stuff came mm -hmm. from him. Didn't seem like Larry Kiner and Pat McCoy had the same catalog. One time I met, sure matched them up, but they almost were the same. They had a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, you know, maybe. I, maybe never asked, I never knew Larry, but I knew Pat. Yeah. But I don't ever asked him much about Larry. And of course, another one that had very similar collection was Blaylock. Bill Blaylock, yes. yeah, the Bill Blaylock Sound Library. I remember that. And he sold his. The man that bought his collection, or a lot of it, was a man in San Jose named Don Ock. Right, whom we knew a little Remember bit. Remember Don Ock or not? Yep, I knew him a little bit. And he actually attended one of the Spurback conventions. Yes, he did. And I don't know what happened to Don. I, I used to call him occasionally. He was trying to sell his collection a few years ago, but yeah. I don't know if anyone bought his collection or what the story was. On. I, I don't know, John. Do you remember him? Vaguely, I remember the name. Yeah, I do remember we'll him. Let's call I, Jerry and see if Jerry remembers. Because Jerry knew Blaylock pretty well, too. Yeah, he did. Okay, we'll Don, find out. Don had a lot of news. Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. Things. Um, and th those are pretty much where I got my news things. Mm -hmm. uh, George Fowler had a few news things, too. Right. 
Have you, any of you heard how George is doing these days? I heard he was having some hearing problems a few years ago. I hope he's better and things. I haven't heard anything lately. Not in the last couple of years or so. Yeah. But I, I, I think we emailed him about two years ago, three years ago, but I haven't heard much since. Let's see if we can find out for you. Yeah, I hope he's doing okay. He was a great. He was a. He was one of the first collectors I ever bought from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I was impressed by, what my mother was especially impressed by, at the time, the only two we knew about were Radio Yesteryear and the great radio shows, which was George Fowler's. Right. And yeah. my mom was always impressed about how quick George Fowler was on filling out orders. How they come would come within a week of your order, generally. You remember when when. When you could buy shows in the 60s, what was the going rate? I remember, you know, in the mid to late 70s, remember Mark 56 Records was almost seven bucks. I was paying seven dollars for LP. It was George Garabedian. Right. Well, I know George Fowler was, I think it was like on cassette, it was, I believe it was either 650 or 675 an hour. Wow. On real, I don't remember what it was, but he did. He did custom, re- you know, custom. You didn't just get the whole reel. You had to order custom reels, I guess. So most, so we mainly just did cassettes for There was also a company in New York that did reels. I remember, was it called Nostalgia Warehouse in the late 70s? I think his name was Webb. His name Joe Webb. Joe Webb, yeah. Joe, Joe moved, and I believe he told me he's in North Carolina now. And I still email him and talk to him once in a while. He's Dr. Joe Webb now. Yeah, oh yeah, he's been a. Is he a doctor? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For quite a while, yeah. He's he was out of the hobby. Now he's back into it again, and he's doing some doing some good stuff. John Redman has most of uh, Joe Rios now. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, and I know that uh, there was also a company. There was a company in Michigan that did reels, and I can't remember who that was. Was that Bob Vernon, maybe? Yeah, Bob Burnham did some uh, in Livonia. Yeah. Uh, who am I thinking of? Kramer. Mm-hmm. I think there's some other people. Can? I mean, what's another? Can't? No. I thought it was a Ken somebody who did yeah. reels on the, in Pennsylvania or something like that. Let it. Yeah, can I remember that. Um, and of course, there's a lot of the That's people hard. who... Trade. Of course, we did a lot of trading mm-hmm. uh, with different people. I remember trading with Josh Bray. That's where I got a few boxing matches, the Josh uh-huh. Bray I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. And there were people like, um, well, I can't think of all the people I traded with. One one man I did a lot of trading with, and was he was in Sacramento. His name was Alan Walker. I don't know if you ever traded with him. No, I don't think so. But he was interesting in that he air-checked many of the CBS mystery theaters in the 70s, and he kept the original commercials in, and for the most part, the five-minute newscast that preceded them. We recorded it for a lot of years, and we kept everything in. Unfortunately, the people who have released quite a bit of it that's on the Internet now, the commercials are clipped, and often the newscasts are gone, too. Frank Rosine in Seattle did the same thing, and so... I don't, so I guess there was at least four or five guys around the country that kept a pretty good Bob dubbing Ryan, going. All of them. Avoid the WOR mystery theaters if you can. Because, first of all, WOR, at least in the 70s, 
when they aired it, they aired it like at 7.10 at night Eastern Time. They did it right after Fulton Lewis III did his commentaries. And what they would do is they would try to cram the whole mystery theater into the remaining 50 minutes. And they would cut it, sometimes they would cut out, you know, E.G. Marshall would do his opening dialogue. They would cut out that opening scene a lot of times, and you just go straight to our mystery story with the music, and they would cut out that opening dialogue. And sometimes at the end, they would cut out his closing comment before they gave the cast. So, and I've heard some of those on, on uh, MP3s that a friend of mine sent me. So if you want, well, for the most part, avoid the WOR mystery theater. Okay. That's just a suggestion to listeners. Did you support all the adventure theaters as well? Let's say again, Jim. Did you record all the adventure theaters as well? Uh, quite a no. few of them. I think we got about 52. I don't know how many were done. Are you talking about the, uh, the what's it called? General Mills. General uh, Mills Adventure Theater? Yeah. 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 We, I, don't, I don't remember how many I've got. we got quite a few of them. Yeah. And um, it, it was, uh, they did six months originals, and then they did a straight six months of repeat. Right. I got most of it. Most of it. Did you, know, you, did, did, you, did you guys ever go to the audience for the Sears radio TV case? No. Or they no. ask for audiences yes, to show up? Did yeah, we did it once. With an audience? Um, Certain ones. I want to say... Henry Morgan Hemp did one with an audience, right? right. Yeah, but we, I, we went to one. And I'm trying to remember which who the guest was. Well, I know Bob Lyons told me he went to one with Henry Morgan. Mm-hmm. But I, those are, and those are the ones I remember with an audience. But um, they, I don't remember any other any others with an audience. But there may have been some. That was that I thought was of, of the of the post sixty two shows after Theater Five. I thought Sears was the best because they just they really you know with the five different themes each night and the different hosts and the Hollywood cast. I thought those were very well done. Sears and then Mutual. Mutual Radio Theater, I think it was. Yeah. 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 Well done shows. And and they and they were and the thing about the uh, it's just a shame I heard Walden play uh, John Dunning's interview with both Fletcher Markle and Elliot Lewis. And I get both of them said the problem was just selling the show and getting getting stations to carry it. Right. And I guess once it went to mutual it just went downhill from there, you know, just loaded with commercials and fewer stations carrying it and all of that. Yeah, that was the big problem, unfortunately, because the actors loved it, you know, because it was an avenue to do radio again, and they got a chance to see each other. And Plus, we heard some young actors as well get their start, who were mostly television. One of my favorites in that, you know, the, of the newer actresses, and I heard her interview, I think Bob had her as a guest, Noelle North. Mm -hmm. She was mm -hmm. very good. And so was Bob so, Towers, I think was his name. Yeah, Bob, Bob's been a friend for 30 or 40 years. Just got an email from him uh, last weekend. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, he wants to come on and do the show. We've asked him to come on and, and be on Yesterday USA. So we have to line up a date, but he's certainly willing to do that. He's involved with the play now. I don't know when that gets finished, but we'll, uh, we'll find a time for him. Have you heard any news on how Noel North is doing these days? 
No, I don't know whether Bob would have kept in contact with her because they worked together for several shows. Yeah. When he did uh, Sears. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to see if if he knows which what she's doing. I don't know. She was a, she was a great actress on some of those. She always played like young parts, teenage parts. Right. She was very good. Things like that. But it was also fun to hear people like veterans like John Daner and Barney Phillips. Some of those people mm -hmm. back again. Oh yeah, absolutely. Great, great show. And I even enjoy I even enjoyed all the Sears commercials. <laughs> <laughs> even if they were repeated a lot, I still enjoyed yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Good and, show. And luckily and, those all I don't know about all of them, but the bulk of bulk of those shows still exists, which is great. Well, I one of my friends in San Jose who does an oldie show, he, when the mutual affiliate in San Jose changed formats, he got some of the mutual